Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Running Motorsport Magazine Show. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to a very special midweek motorsport. I'm John Hindhoff and instead of looking out on the meadow from Hindhoff Terrace uh, at just after 8 o'clock on a Wednesday evening, I am in fact looking out over the whole of a paddock. Uh, not that type of paddock, it is a race car paddock and beyond that I can just about see down to my left a little bit of Lake Seneca because we're up in the Finger Lake region of upstate New York for this weekend's uh, IMSA events, the Chile United Sports Car Championship, the Conti Tires Challenge and all of the support series are here on this very, very historic track. We're in our broadcast booth getting ready for that and it's an absolutely picture-perfect day. Things just starting to come together in that paddock and this is where Midweek Motorsport will be coming from tonight. Up in London, uh, a different producer for us tonight. We have Johnny Palmer with us, who may be able to speak to us. Uh, good evening to you, Johnny, I would have to say. Good evening, John. Yes, I think this is actually my midweek motorsport debut, you know. Oh, come on, it can't I be. I think it is. I was once on doing a Formula Ford contest, trying to guess the voices of drivers, but that wasn't Oh, live. that was different. No, this yeah, is, honestly, this is the first time I've ever been on the show, and I'm actually a producer. <laughs> He's in you. charge. That's I, I, I know, talk about promotion. <laughs> Fantastic uh, work by the whole team from Le Mans last week, of course, or a couple of weeks ago. Johnny was a part of that, as was Shea Adam, who has driven down to us. Uh, so if she's sounding a bit odd, it's because she's been in Canada and the accent has hardened just a little bit. Hello, Shea. I don't know what you're talking about, John. Eh? A boot. A boot. A boot. No? No, no idea. Eh? Eh? And the good news is she's found a Tim Hortons here already. Several. Uh, they, have, they have migrated south of the border. And when I texted her about that earlier on this week, it was just scores. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Also, just to my right, a little bit closer uh, than Cher, is Jim Roller. Jim celebrating the 40th anniversary of his first professional broadcast this weekend at this venue at the equivalent event 40 years ago. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. Yeah, 1975, I was 15 years old, and they were afraid I was going to break equipment, so they sent me down into the pits to get interviews, and a career was born. <laughs> uh, and although we don't have Tim up in London, we do have him down in another part of the United States of America. Hello, Tim Gray. Hello, John. Hello, Jim, Shay, and Johnny. Yes, where are you at the moment? God, Shay, it's an invasion. <laughs> I am. I am. Shay's, Shay's one of the invaders as well. She's come from Canada. Uh, yeah, it's a pizza moment. Overlooking, overlooking the harbour uh, in the beautiful Newport, Rhode Island. 
Ah, okay. All very good. We're not going to ask. Uh, that that you, is right. Apparently, uh, we're seeing you up there in a couple of days. Uh, the the uh, yes, you seeing Billy Joel breaking a record with Billy Joel. He was. Uh, it was uh, sing us a song. Piano man smashed it straight on the floor. The uh, usual hashtags and Twitter accounts tonight. Uh, it's uh, at Specky Timmons, at Radio Le Mans, and we'll uh, kick off with some apologies for a- absence as the strains of the cult die away gently. Uh, Thomas Kyle says, uh, we'll be late to the show tonight, still waiting to be seen by the F3 marshals in Spa. Some kids never learn. I'm sure we'll be talking about that later on uh, as well. Uh, one or two people seeing, and I, I, I do think Sarah Rigby sent one in earlier on, seeing that she's on the evening shift at the clinic tonight. All very good. Uh, notice for absent from Kevin Payne tonight. Still high from a stellar race and coverage from the Le Mans team and already booked for 2016. Hope that's with travel destinations. Thank you, Kevin. Kind words there as well. And apologies for us, it says Roger Davies. I'm at the shakedown for the Rally Ypres Historic and it's difficult to hear much over BDA engines. I am envy. You know, first time at Watkins Glen and I think I'm still envious of Roger Davies uh, there this evening. Let me do a couple uh, more if we can uh, this evening. A 25-episode penalty for changing my headphones, says Mark Thorne. That's very good. Very good indeed. Dusty Reid at work at the moment. Right turn lover tuning in live. And uh, Jesse has made it home. So he's listening live as well in Southern California. Paul Parkin listening while preparing for three days of Formula E. Oh, Formula E, sorry. Formula E, he's got Formula E exclamation marks. So is, is that like lots of people talking about celebrities and what they're wearing? Uh, and he's, he's, he's getting divorced. Life Formula, the red A. Formula A. Uh, Adam Green is in a stormy Atlanta. Uh, it's beautiful weather here, I can tell. And hello to Anthony Dolan in South Shields. Uh, first Le Mans 24. Uh, well, well, hello to all the Sandys then uh, from South Shields. Won't be his last, he says. Uh, rotation has already s- spotted a mistake from our new producer, Johnny Palmer. Johnny Palmer appeared on the 2007 Le Mans Midweek Motorsport playing Call My Hoof. <laughs> See? What? You can't I get away. No, I have no memory of that whatsoever. But then again, I can't really remember what happened last week. That's, so That's because that's Tim probably asked you a bunch of questions that nobody in their right mind could have answered. <laughs> Call my huff. Should that come yes. back? Tim sounds like he's still bitter at uh, not getting very many guys. <laughs> as many of us Me? are, in fairness. As many I of us are. I think Jim's still right. too. Jeremy Shaw never had any problems with it. Did he? Get, he got eight out of eight, didn't he? Well, that's what does Jeremy seven do for a living. Been eight out of eight. Yes, but young you, race car drivers. You asked him questions on American race car drivers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right, let's uh, let's move on. Midweek Motorsport uh, series ten, episode twenty. Now, did we give uh, last week's highlight show a, a midweek Motorsport number, Tim, or is this twenty-five? We didn't. So Executive this is decision twenty-five. Right, so this is a Series 10, Episode 25, live from Watkins Glen International. And how many years have I wanted to say that? Um, are we going to start with some news, Tim, or do you have something else for us? We're going to start with some news. OK, do we have a news jingle? Johnny will need to play a jingle. Johnny will play the next jingle. And there it is. Can't you still 
That can go now, Johnny. Thank you. It's going. It's It's going. Just not to us. That Just is. Not to us. Just stop it, Johnny. Just stop it now. <laughs> You've panicked him now. Uh, oh, he's not doing well. Anyway, we. That is. Of are you course, still hearing that? Because nobody else is. Let yeah, I know, but yeah, we are, are. and oh, it's fine. very loud. So it's hashtag lose the bed, Johnny. It's um, gone. Everyone yeah. listening at home will will recognise the bed has gone. I sell it every week. Right, well, I, fortunately, I can just turn it down here and not hear it, so that's uh, that's disappeared. Uh, that is the advantage of having you and uh, and Tim on other channels. Uh, the that was, of course, uh, the theme music for the uh, m- much lamented Sopranos. And Jim was just quietly swaying. That left was dad him. dancing. Uh, that, that was dad dancing. Still there. Still playing in, in our ears. Uh, that was dad dancing. It was, uh, so that, is, that was, of course, a show that was based in New Choicey, wasn't it, uh, Tim? It was. And Bernie Eccleston has not yet given up hope of holding a Formula One Grand Prix there. Mm. And he's been talking to our friend Leo Hindry again yes, about this. Yeah, Jim Roller and I yes, he has. know this. Uh, I might cha- just get my watch back from Nick. Yes, Nick. Nick has said he will put it back up there. He will put it back up there. Oh, has he? Ooh. Yes, yes. It, it hasn't been made official yet, but I think I'm going to report that as a solid rumour mm-hmm. from the uh, from the paddocks of Le Mans. First of all, we haven't had apologies for absence from Nick Damon. No, which is a bit poor. He's on a plane and at the sec- moment. That's is he going back worse. to Goa? He's got internet on planes these days. Probably not on the one he's flying from Scandinavia on. Ah. <laughs> uh. Uh, so the original bet, of course, was the uh, 2013 Grand Prix of uh, New York, as it was supposed to be called, uh, yeah. and whether it appeared on the calendar, uh, mm. which it didn't. And and therefore the, the handover of the watch was made, and Nick has moved house with that watch and still cherishes it. Mm. Um, Leo Hendry is not a man to be denied, and I would have thought in all of that, Leo would have been disappointed knowing him as I do, and you know him far better than I Jim Roller, that he would have been disappointed with how that that whole episode played out. Very disappointed. He was he was brokenhearted because this has become a kind of a cause celeb for him now, yep. and he really wants this to happen. We'll see. Is it still potentially? And I accept that perhaps you haven't spoken to him any more recently than I have, which is quite some. Some time ago, but actually, I saw him right before I left for. Oh, did you? Yeah. For and the UK. was he prepared to say anything about it? Mm, he kind of gave me that sheepish grin when I asked him, but wasn't really in position to talk about it. Um, there was thoughts last time, wasn't there, that it was being used as a stalking horse to get Coulter and the circuit of the Americas and Texas and everybody else who was on the money side of that to get them to focus their minds a little bit because if they didn't it might go somewhere else and, and I think that upset Leo as well didn't it because yes. it made it sound like it wasn't a and wasn't it, an honest and uh, representative bid right and it was because even Bernie was willing to help out and that kind of proved how serious everybody was to make it happen the real mm. problem lay with the locals in New Jersey and that was an appropriate theme that you played. Given you mean it was outside interests at work? <laughs> we yes. spent the last two days yeah. talking about that and local yes, politics, indeed. haven't we? In other, yes. in other, um, yes, indeed, in other 
the circumstances entirely. There were people that needed to be brought into line, so to speak, ah, for it okay. to happen. So. I see. I they see. kind of brought into line where they're never seen again, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> I can't speak to Same that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, if, if you had to put a percentage on it in terms of, of whether it would happen 50-50, less than 50-50... Leo still is very keen on it, and as you said, it, you know he's—it's not exactly and his Bernie, life. Every time Bernie speaks publicly, he says he's keen on it. Mm. So I'd give it sixty forty at this point. Do you have towards Rolex, happening, Jim? Towards happening. <laughs> Do you have another Rolex? He has some very nice watches now. A very couple of very nice Tag Heuers. Porsche. Porsche, yeah, Porsche Spider. That could go there. Mm-hmm. I could see Nick in that. I'm wearing a Movado right now. Yeah, that's very nice. Yeah, very nice. My twenty fifth wedding. Anyway. The uh, so okay, we'll keep our eyes on that, and that's not the only Formula One story that has U.S. Uh, links this week, Tim, is it? It's not, and we'll come on to another one later. Uh, but obviously, we have already seen a leaked version of the 2016 Formula One calendar, and that have doesn't we? include yes. We saw okay. we talked about that in April. Uh, oh, oh, sorry, so you're going that far back? I, I was thinking you were yes. thinking the last couple of weeks. Not I was recently. thinking we haven't. No, 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 indeed, yes. Uh, and that didn't have New Jersey on it, but it did have Baku on it. Uh, yes. For the uh, 2016 Grand Prix of Europe. And this week, uh, the Azerbaijani sports minister said he doesn't just want a Grand Prix, he wants a Formula One team to be run under the Azerbaijani flag, uh, and that any companies interested in that project would get government support. Hang on, a government sponsored Formula One team? Yes. I can see, I can see people banging the door down to go and do that. Do they have to be based on uh, Azerbaijani soil? I suspect so. But I mean, there's not a lot of, as far as I am aware, there's not a lot of private enterprise in Azerbaijan. The oil companies are state-owned still, and that's where all the on. money is. Hang on, there's a number coming in here. Someone listening in who needs a contact for the. Azerbaijani uh, <laughs> Department of whatever it was you said, commerce, and is that by collars? Is that is that the name? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds right up his street. Right up his street. <laughs> Maybe they could get the Azerbaijanis to buy Renault and Red Bull because no one else is going to. Uh, they do a very good uh, coriander. That's the three three crops a year, you know, in Azerbaijan. Very very fertile soil. That, there's yeah. a story there that I've got to tell you about, and <laughs> off another uh, off mic and, and another another time. He's, so he seriously has said that that there will be state aid for a for a Grand Prix team, a Formula One team that was uh, was to base itself in Azerbaijan. There will be help. Yes, we will be totally will be supporting any private investment. Uh, he said. Uh, there's also a project underway to develop uh, a new generation of young Azerbaijani drivers and help them progress up the ladder of motorsport. We're starting to lose you a little bit, Tim, getting a bit scratchy, but I think you said young Azerbaijani drivers because there's such a burgeoning uh, motorsports uh, <laughs> ladder system in Azerbaijan at the moment. Well, there is, is there a... Go on, Tim. They, they'll obviously join the European ladder system uh, like, like uh, every other country in Europe. No, you're, I'm sorry. You're, um, we're gonna, you're going to have to... Disconnect and reconnect, I think, uh, Tim, because we've started to lose you. I'm sure that any second now there'll be a Formula BMW Azerbaijan Championship, which will be somewhere for those cars to be used all over again. Almost certain to be an Eastern 
Azerbaijan uh, Formula Renault Championship, sponsored by Termito Bar, or the Azerbaijani uh, equivalent, or coriander, of course. Uh, don't forget, <laughs> coriander flavour. Uh, don't forget, tweet us at Specutainment, at Radio Le Mans. It's Series 10, Episode 25. We're live from Watkins Glen, IMSA Radio, fired up again this weekend for not only the next round of the Chile United Sports Car Championship, but also all of the support series, including the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge. It all starts officially on Friday. We're going to try and give you a little bit of bonus coverage on Thursday afternoon. That will all depend on uh, facilities, etc. here. But um, as we're broadcasting at the moment, um, we've got the first bits working, at least. And thank you to Brian Peck in particular for putting our little studio together on the top of the grandstand. We've got a fabulous view uh, from where we are at the moment. So studio, uh, excuse me, uh, Specutainment and uh, also uh, at Radio Le Mans, if you will. Uh, Tim Gray, are you back with us? I should be. Yes, much, oh, better. much better. Yeah, you'd, you'd gone all, all um, Dalek-y a little bit. Uh, where are we going next, Tim? What, uh, what do you have for us next? Well, uh, you mentioned it earlier, and... Uh... The uh, Miami Dolphins are going to buy Formula One. What? They don't have any money. I live there. I would know. <laughs> no well, one goes to their games. Well, this is another interesting story because this is a U.S. Qatari, uh, U.S. Dash Qatari uh, consortium that's been put together. And oddly enough, <laughs> Mr. Roller, who seems to be awfully well connected in these parts, um, one of the people is known to you who's a part of this. Mm-hmm. Stephen Ross, he's a big uh, Michigan booster, uh, which means he spends a lot of money on Michigan University Athletics and has built a lot of buildings there. He owns the Miami Dolphins. He owns a couple video uh, companies, and he is in charge of a $20 billion global investment fund that is probably where a lot of the money for this would be coming from, other than the Qatari money, obviously, which will probably be the lion's share of the money. But, um, yeah, it will be uh, Mr. Ross, who is uh, very uh, head, the headline U.S. figure in this whole project. But, Jim, if they have so much money, then why did they propose a $400 million improvement to the Dolphin Stadium, which then got turned over because they were asking $200 million of the Miami taxpayers, who said, uh, no. Because that's the rule in the NFL. Yeah, but also, that's... That, that's, that's a also, different project. That's also that's also the nature of professional sports in America. You try to fleece the local government first, and if you can't, then you do your own thing. How that's serious not is America. this? No, no, no. That's, yeah, that's true. Isn't that isn't that true, Tim? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Formula E have based a business model on taking money out of uh, fundings that that is available. I'm not don't, saying that's a good or a bad thing. Don't go by what he does with the dolphins. The guy has money coming on every pore of his body. Well, no, but and, he, and if he's any if he's got any sense, of course, he won't be spending his own money either. Because what he'll be doing sounds like he's very savvy and very well connected in hedge funds and venture capital yes. and such like, and that would be presumably where he sees the opportunity to be able to get in there. Which is basically what they're buying it from anyway. Yeah, CVC is a. What does this mean, Tim, for Bernie Eccleston, though? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Right. Uh, I'm sure they'll uh, keep him on as a uh, figurehead. Uh, he did no, say no. Uh, in Austria that uh, he's not aware of any deal being on the table. Um, so there we go. The, uh, article, the article I read, Tim, actually had Ross stating that 
why would you get rid of somebody who knew so much and mm. he would be an integral part of carrying on? But, uh, they, they all will, you do is you be able to pull that out of his. It'll be out of his cold dead fingers that that'll get pulled. I, I think Bernie's probably already got plans in it of how to run Formula One from beyond the grave. Uh, if I'm if I'm honest, Dan Hounsell has uh, tweeted at Speculative. Let's just have the Grand Prix in New Jersey. Disguise it as Azerbaijan with flags and such. Two <laughs> birds, one stone, half the cost. Dan. You are a genius, man. Way to go, Dan. That's, uh, that's so far, that's Tweet of the Week. Uh, yeah, that's fantastic stuff. Call Mr. Ross. You might, uh, there might be a future for you. Yes. A <laughs> uh, lot, of, lot of people um, saying, how much does a Azerbaijani entrance license cost? And you might find that Red Bull Racing and a whole host of other people all of a sudden are racing under Azerbaijani flags. Mm. If I could get my Azerbaijani racing license before the 360 event next weekend and race under an Azerbaijani license instead of my UK one, that's uh, all possibility. That is uh, not this weekend coming, but next weekend covered here on uh, radiolamon.com. Would, would of that course. make you hind oh. off over? <laughs> well, it, it would make him the best finishing Azerbaijani driver in that race. <laughs> <so>. True. Yes. <laughs> yes. Good. That's a good point. Yeah. I wonder if I could get state funding for that. Oh, Apply for a grant. Yeah. I know that I'm racing a Rover this weekend. I'm not sure which type of Rover, or maybe if it, even if it's two next weekend, should I say, um, which could could well be the new state car of Azerbaijan, obviously. It's been sold to everybody else in, what, <laughs> in the East of nature. What's, what's, this, what's this form that the responsible adult is working on? It's, 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 what's it say? It's application for... Funding for oh, all right. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> As a for funding for radio stations. Excellent, yeah. all good stuff. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series Ten, Episode Twenty Five. We're live at Watkins Glen International for this weekend's IMSA event, the Tudor United Sports Car Championship. Uh, has of course the next round of the Tequila Patron American Endurance Challenge. Here, it's the six hours of the Glen. One of my absolute bucket list events. Can't wait for this to get started on Friday. All the sessions covered for uh, IMSA for the uh, Tudor Championship for the for the long race uh, at the weekend. Plus, we'll have uh, qualifying for Conti and the races uh, for all of the support events. A very busy weekend. Jeremy Shaw will join Shea Jim and myself. He's en route at the moment, and uh, we may just have a little bit of bonus coverage for you on Thursday as well, so keep a, uh, an eye on the Twitter feed and on the Facebook. It's 22 minutes past eight in the UK, which is where Johnny Palmer is, and Tim Gray, who is uh, over in New York, a couple of hundred miles away from us. And, no, in Rhode uh, Island. In Rhode Island, excuse me. Yes, yeah, sorry, you did say that. Over in Rhode Island. And uh, where are we going next, Tim? Where are you taking us? We're going to stay with Formula One, and mm. uh, Red Bull is not going to quit Formula One. Really? Says Bernie Ever. Eccleston. Well, they can st- it was brought up again at the weekend. Now, I have to say I didn't see the race because I was uh, in the air at the time. But all of this talk, and Nick Damon has spoken about this. Nick, who hasn't given us his apologies for absence this week, he's spoken about this many times, hasn't he, Tim? And the fact is that Red Bull have got a contract to be in Formula One till when? Whenever Nick said they did, yeah. So 2017, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Yes, 2017. Um, and as they're one of their major recipients of uh, finance coming back out of Formula One on a tier one and tier two money, then that would be an awful lot of money for them to give up if they decided to walk away early. 
Yes. Hmm. Uh, so, just a bit of bombastic uh, saber rattling from. Uh, Bernie uh, said, "I know uh, Mr. Matashits very well. Uh, there'd be more chance of him pulling out if he if he was winning than when he was losing. They're disappointed, aren't they? What they say is, it's not our fault. This our performance is what it is. They've been used to winning with Renault, and now. And now. And now. Yeah. Dot 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 dot." dot, dot. Well, as somebody said at the weekend, I was watching some of the tweets that were going in uh, at the weekend and, and some of the bits and pieces that was on our website, the Facebook. McLaren are having a worse year than Red Bull could ever have. It's a year that they will wipe from their heritage. And we're not hearing either Honda or McLaren. In fact, Eric Burley, I thought, was quite good on the TV at the weekend, saying it's still one team. And, she, you know, there's... It's clearly not where they want it to be. It's clearly an embarrassment to everybody. But it's more to sport. It's more to racing. It's not more to winning, is it? No, and that's something that's hard to remind teams who are so used to being at the front. For McLaren to have a season where they're not even competitive for the top ten. <laughs> they thought that they would be there halfway through. I think it's pretty safe to say that their car would be developed enough that they would be finishing in the points fairly consistently. But it, it's such a struggle for them. And I honestly, I feel for their drivers. Because Fernando Alonso and Jensen Button, world champions, they're not used to fighting it out with the back of the pack. So their morale levels have got to be pretty low by the end of this season. And what's that going to leave them with? Promises of next year will be better? Well, you know, it couldn't really be any worse, uh, frankly. And it smacks to me, Jim, of Red Bull. I mean, they've thrown Renault under the bus massively. Um, which could well drive Renault out of the uh, out of the sport, I- at least in the current form that we see them. Um, but it smacks of me to me of of, of Red Bull being the pet- petulant child of the paddock. You know they don't have a lot of Formula One history. It's a drinks company for goodness sake. It's not a, a racing team. Um, it's it's now looking exactly as we all feared it would do, which is a big marketing exercise. And now when they can't win, they want to take the ball, the bat, and the field and go home. We all thought the petulant child had moved on to Ferrari when, in fact, the petulant mm. child was uh, camped right there in the paddock. Very area. good point. And the element that I find very interesting is Adrian Newey announces he's going to go off and design sailboats, and all of a sudden... Just been tweeted in by Nick Holland, what Adrian did next. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The, um, the car all of a sudden is uncompetitive and it's Renault's fault. And I'm like... Well, there's no doubt, there's, 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 there's no doubt that, that Mercedes-Benz have, have cornered the technology race in the, in the engine. But there are other teams who are doing a better job with what they've got. Without a doubt. I mean, t- if you look at Toro Rosso, they're pretty much kicking the big brother's butt mm-hmm. up and down the racetrack. Um, Ferrari has improved. About the only team that hasn't, two teams that haven't improved this year, as Shea said, McLaren, when we know why that's going on, and that's just, that's teething pains that are normal for the rest of the world. We think they're abnormal because it's McLaren, and you don't ever expect McLaren to have anything like teething pains. And then the guys at Red Bull, who, who, uh, you know, their arrogance has always been their downfall. Uh, Fabian W has just tweeted in it's about you, Tim. If you enter F1 only for marketing reasons, winning is the only way it makes sense. That's Red Bull's problem. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a reasonable uh, observation. The 
Uh, yeah. It's a very astute observation. Well, well, we have we have very very good listeners, don't we? We yes, know we that, do. and it's not to knock the achievements that they've had, but there was a great out for Red Bull this year, and that was McLaren doing quite so badly. If they'd sort of just kept their heads down and said, no, well, it's not a great year, but we'll make the best of it, we'll do what we can, it would have pushed all of the focus, I think, to McLaren having an Anis Horribilis, if I could even say that, um, and, you know, big signing with with Alonso going there, it's all gone terribly wrong. Renault, uh, Renault Red Bull, Infinity Red Bull, could have easily have said, this is our rebuilding year. Because Vettel's gone. Okay, we didn't handle that very well. He's gone. Adrian's doing some other stuff. We haven't got our heads around, so we're having a bit of a rebuilding year. And they haven't done that, Jim. And quietly got about the business of doing their job. For next year. Instead, exactly. Instead, they've stood up and they've beat the symbol and they've pounded their chest and they've cried and they've thrown the, the dummy out of the pram. And it's as you would expect from those guys. Well, the team that has been keeping quiet is Force India. They've been having a rough year, and they haven't been drawing attention to themselves. I think Red Bull could have done much the same. But as you said, Jim, they chose instead to act like a little two-year-old. And and in fairness, to, I agree with you on Force India. And frankly, I think that the fact that most of us that sit on the sidelines and watch think that Force India is having a rough year this year is because they were so good last year. The... Johannes Gragleger, hello, Johannes, says, Red Bull is less of a marketing exercise than the certain car company's LMP1 program. You're missing the point, Johannes, and also missing the points with Master Sages spent billions on F1 purely because he wants to. If he doesn't want it, that's his prerogative. Nobody's saying that that is or isn't the case. What we're saying is the way that they're going about it is somewhat petulant, um, given the fact that they all of a sudden aren't winning. I I don't necessarily disagree or or agree with either of those statements, and they may or may not be correct. I I actually do agree with you with, with Dietrich. What he does with his own money is up to him. But I just think, you know, he's only weighed into this relatively recently. Uh, The way it's been handled at lower levels just smacks. It just, it it doesn't call into question their achievements so far because clearly they've done a very good job. But what it does do is it makes you think, it makes it hard to root for them, doesn't it? As a... As a spectator. I also question their focus as a team because one of the things that I got to do in my six-week sojourn overseas was to see a lot of the sky coverage of Mm. Formula One. And the thing that I found very interesting was they would go down two or three times during each race and interview Christian Horner on the wall live, and it wouldn't be what's going on with your cars. The whole interview would be, well, what do you think is going to happen with the rest of the field? What do you think is going to be doing here? Really? Where's mm. his focus? Mm. Where's his focus if he's spending time being an analyst for Sky from the wall in and fairness, not even dealing with his own team? In fairness, they do that every week. They have somebody uh, on, on the pit wall. It just happens to be that it's Red Bull rather more than anybody else. Well, they do it with other teams as well. But I know what you mean, but also the pronouncements well, see, that have I come out. I only saw Red Bull. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, I, 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 I do think I wonder what's going on within the team. Are we seeing a Ferrari-esque... 1980s, 1970s, Ferrari-esque meltdown where the management structure is breaking down because they can't deal with not winning all the time. So how good was the team before? If you can only motivate people when they're winning and winning at a canter, 
then what sort of team structure have you got? And then what you've got to do is you've got to call into question the management and motivational skills of the guys at the top. And that starts, you know, Matashitz is different. He's, he's the money guy, that's fine. Put him to one side, he does it, he doesn't do it. He's like a chairman of a football club or a sports team. Right. He's not picking the he's team the every coach. week. He's not the manager. Right, yep. exactly. Um, but from certainly from Christian Horner's point of view, it doesn't reflect well on him, does it? No, I, I don't think so. Okay, moving on. You're listening to uh, Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 10, Episode 25. Tim Gray is uh, over in Rhode Island. We're live from Watkins Glen International, and Johnny Palmer is back up in London. Tim, what's next? This. The news that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. That's early. Yes, but it ties in with uh, the story we've just been talking about. Okay. Uh, And it's not actually a press release. Uh, This is something I found in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. and Which basically, one? the opening. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm not going to name names, but okay. you know where. Now, you know did where you buy am, the newspaper? So. <laughs> did you? Did you? Did you buy the newspaper? Was it left? Is it, is it the Rhode Island public... Gazette? <laughs> <laughs> I suspect the Rhode Island Gazette doesn't have a lot of Formula One stories in it. Does I it, read it? It might do. It, it uh, might do. The, was it left on a, a um, public transport, or did you have your fish and chips in it? Uh, you know, does, let we me need read to know the certain paragraph. Okay. The Ostreich ring was built as a Skelextrix track for a man who could afford anything Dietrich Marteschitz, purveyor of soft drinks. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was Zeltweg. It was the A1 ring. It was, you know... <sighs> All he did was buy it and change the name. The track is still I... the same shape as it was when it was the A1 ring. Basically, yes, you're right. Absolutely. They took, they took a... They've, they've just reprofiled some of the exits of the corners and done some things with runoff, haven't they? But that's about all. Didn't they build a new pit complex, or was that the one when the A1 ring was uh, was done? No, that's uh, that's the A1 ring one. Okay. So, uh, it's just disappointing, isn't it? Is that yeah. is that a is that an uh, well respected? Uh, is that a well respected newspaper? But it is it is a UK national newspaper. Yes. Wind beginning to pick up here uh, in the paddock, and we're, in fact, we're watching one of the awnings of the. Is that one of the IMSA uh, technical areas? No, no I that... think that's ESM. Oh, you're right, it is. Yeah. It's ESM. Uh, has just lost their awning right in front of us, and uh, what? Uh, 10, that's... 20, 30, 40 feet of awning has just yeah, uh, flipped that's, over? That's going to leave a mark. Yes. <laughs> So the wind just picking up and blowing in from, I guess, the east side of the circuit at the moment, across a fairly quiet paddock still here at Watkins Glen International. So you're not prepared to, uh, you're not prepared to name names and shame uh, journalists there, Tim, are you? Not at all, because it would give me a bad uh, reputation for having admitted I've read this newspaper. Well, that tells us all. Oh, the sun, know. in other words. You're reading the it's sun. It's not the sun. I actually quite like the sun, for, uh, <laughs> journalistically. I think um, if you examine the sun uh, from a oh, historic dear. journalistic perspective, it's go. actually very good. Um, well, yeah, once you get past page three, of course. Uh, Manda Foxdale. Uh, go on. What do Tom Christensen and Mark Martin have in common? Uh, they're going to be at the Race of Champions in London this year. 
more than that. Uh, they're going to... Well, they're not getting the same team because it, it, Tom's with someone else I read this week. He's with Matthias Ekstrom. He's with he's paired battle with Matthias Ekstrom, with whom he's been successful in the past. Um, they are, they've both written a book. They may have done, uh, but that's not what I'm Not the answer for. that's on the card. <laughs> <laughs> they're both over a certain milestone in terms of age. I'll give you a clue. Joe Bradley has this in common as well. They're it's retired. Just, they're retired. They're retired, yes. They're retired right. racing drivers who are still racing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tim, there was an edge to your voice there. There really was. <laughs> so, hang on. In the Tim Gray book of things that shouldn't ever happen is retire and then keep on doing uh, what, what you... Uh, from. Yes. What you retired from. Yes, absolutely. Mark Martin's done uh, it two or three times, in fact. Uh, mm-hmm. This is uh, the first time that Tom Christensen would have raced since he retired at the end of last year. Mark Patterson as well. He keeps yes, retiring very good, and Johnny. keeps coming yeah. back. Um, who else? Who else? <laughs> Did, uh, Wayne Taylor retired about 16 times, at least twice to Joe Bradley live on the air on the old American Le Mans Series radio That's network uh, and came back. Derek Bell retired to me at Le Mans once and then came back. Casey Stoner. Uh, Yes, Casey Stoner, very good. Uh, so Sterling Moss has retired to Joe Bradley and come back and done stuff since as well. I don't believe um, he has. I'm not sure about that. I, I has don't he not? Think he, Stur- he probably well, not, actually he probably hasn't done anything competitively. No. That's that's but, probably. But yeah. he has driven the He's, 722. Yes, but that wasn't in competition. In right. fairness, no, that's that's, right. that's fair to when Sir Sterling said he was done, he was. But his um, people said he wasn't done because he, they panicked. He retired, <laughs> of course, once after his big accident, and then came back. Uh, probably a bit early, then retired, then came back in touring cars in a front-wheel drive Akai-sponsored Audi 80 and hated it. Uh, so he has done it, but not at the time I said. So this time, at least, when he said to Joe that he'd retired, he certainly has. Um, I'm trying to think of other people who we have actually heard live on the air or reported that have retired and then have come back. Um, th- there is someone else. Who else has been saying that there's Mike might make a comeback. And Nigel Mansell, of course, he retired and then came back, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Nicky Lauder. Yeah, Nicky Lauder really retired and then came back. Alan Prost? No. Retired and no, he didn't Oh, back. he did a bit of okay. ice racing, didn't he? Yeah. Um, yes, he did. Yes, okay. Wow. Different different discipline, but still well, motor racing. Still coming back, yep. yeah. Um, th- there's bound to be some more. Tweet, that's about your team, if you, uh, if you know them. Um, Alfred Wallace anyway. says... Uh, Gearbox Girl, Jim Roller, Blackpool Johnny on Midrace Motorsport. Why, Ambassador, you are spoiling us. Yes, very good. <laughs> That's a very 1970s advert. Yes, uh, 80s. It, was it 80s? Yes, maybe even early 90s. Really? It seemed yes. far longer. Time flies, John. So, so they've upset you then by uh, retiring and then coming back again, have they, Tim? Yes. Uh, but at least this year they're not going to uh, be enjoying the sunshine in Barbados. No, it's going to be freezing cold in London at the Olympic Stadium at West Ham's new ground. Yep. At least you don't have to fly anywhere this year. Oh, unfortunately, Ooh, yes, John, I do. John will be flying to Bahrain that weekend. So yeah, because yes, I'll be does. going to the sunshine of Bahrain. <laughs> he says as he does a happy dance. Um, so that is uh, that's later on this year. Uh, anything else that you want to say about those two? No, that's it. Tip? Okay, excellent. That, that's all. I've got some okay. dates for your diaries. Okay. Hmm. 
Uh, first of all, uh, Tuesday the 30th of June is the fourth annual Henry Surtees Foundation Team Karting Challenge at Mercedes-Benz World Booklands. Mm. Uh, the, uh, That's very worthwhile. Uh, very worthwhile. Mm-hmm. The official starter will be uh, Derek Bell. Who's just unretired himself from uh, from from, from starting? Flags. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, the checkered flag will be waved by Damon Hill, OBE, who's also ah. just unretired himself from waving flags. Very good. Uh, and uh, there'll be a practice session in the morning, race in the afternoon, and in between, uh, both uh, Derek Bell and Damon Hill will be driving some vintage cars. Uh, Derek okay. Bell will be racing or driving the Surtees TS7. Mm-hmm. Uh, Damon Hill will be in the uh, 1965 Climax Lotus uh, 32B uh, that Jim Clark won the Tasman series with. Mm-hmm. Uh, there will also be an ex Alan Jones TS19, uh, which will be driven by Ollie Rowland. And uh, a Surtees TS10, a Formula 2 car, uh, that will be uh, driven by Scott Morven. Mm, very nice. And, and that's when? 30th of? That's the 30th of June, so next Tuesday. Right, OK, fine. If you're somewhere and... near, go down there. Very worthy, very worthy cause indeed. And don't forget, next, not this weekend, but next weekend at Snetterton. It's the 366 hours uh, with uh, all of our usual coverage there. Joe Bradley, me, Nick Damon and uh, also Paul Tarsi, the Baron, will be Paul there. Paul Tarsi's very uh, usual, well. yes. Yes, he's, uh, uh, he's becoming, fast day. becoming the voice of that event. And that's on all for charity day. as well. So we can't yes. promote anything else on the same day. So not, not on the same day as, uh, as uh, the 360. The only thing but... that's worth happening on that day is the 360 at Snetterton, and if you don't yeah, go there, this... you won't see any motorsport at all. Yeah, simple as that. The same yeah, yeah, exactly. day as the Henry Surtees karting uh, ah. uh, uh, event uh, is another charity event, the Life of Ayrton Senna, uh, featuring Paddy Lowe, Patrick Head, David Coulthard, Martin Donnelly, and Manish Pandey. Um, mm-hmm. Manish Pandey, being... of course, being the person who cut all the TV footage together to make that pseudo documentary called Senna. Did. And that's being held in London uh, with food by a Michelin star chef. So if you've got one hundred and eighty-five pounds, <laughs> no, no. you can uh... Michelin star chef, not just a Michelin chef. But Bendham next <laughs> to a naked flame doesn't bear thinking about, does it? it you know that would be an awful Oh dear. <laughs> oh, boy. oh dear. Uh, this from Alan Prosser. Uh, he says, uh, "Oh, dude, just moved down." He's lots of uh, tweets coming in uh, this week. He says. Uh, uh, Oh, where's it gone? Sorry, carry on, Tim. I was trying to get uh, some tweets in because we've got a lot in them. Yeah. It's the UK premiere of another of a film uh, called right. Gonchi. Now, this is the uh, biography of Gonzalo Rodriguez, uh-huh. which has already uh, uh, received uh, a lot of plaudits in Uruguay and other parts of South America. So that premieres right. in the UK on Monday with a uh, special talk from Max Mosley uh, before oh, really? that. Yeah, uh, I was invited, but obviously I can't go because uh, I'll be uh, over here. Uh, and then on next Thursday, uh, also in the UK, is the premiere of Louder, the, Unsto- the Untold Story, uh, which is being uh, simulcast at several cinemas across the country. Really? 
uh, and I am going to go to that. Ed uh, Taylor, uh, ducking as he even tweets this. Mark Webber retired, didn't he? Yes, very good. No. Uh, <laughs> Michael Schumacher. He stopped racing Formula One. Michael Schumacher retired, of course, and came back. He did. Yeah. Yes, he did. Uh, and You're trying to get Alan McNish to continue racing after he retired. He's, he's not. He's not going to do it. Uh, James Ryder. Uh, for retirement, he says, my vote goes to the Collis LMP car at Le Mans, retired 10 oh, times, oh, only oh, to come oh. back again, and that was just <laughs> in 24 hours, which I thought was very good. Well played. And I'm trying to find Alan Pross's tweet because, uh, ah, Rusty Wallace uh, retired and recently raced in stadium super trucks. There we go, I knew he would find it eventually. And also, Alan Prosser says, um, what, is it, what was his prize for getting tweet of the week? Well, we have got a prize for you, Alan. And if you would like to uh, drop your mailing address, please, uh, to uh, Eve at studio at radiolamont.com or send a private message to at Radio Le Mans on Twitter. Uh, we can get that out in the post for you, Alan, because we've put something aside from a little bit of swag that we picked up at uh, uh, at at Le Mans. Uh, and indeed, those of you who beat the team uh, in the uh, the Christmas quiz uh, will uh, also be getting some bits and pieces this week because we uh, finally got round to posting some stuff out. And thanks to Shea for going through everybody. Uh, who had beaten the team and I think there's about a dozen of you and we've got 11 addresses and they all went out last week so there should be something dropping through your post box in a moment or two quarter to nine in the UK uh, quarter to uh, four in the afternoon here a little bit of high cloud temperatures in the uh, high 20 degrees Celsius uh, that's up in the uh, late 70s early 80s in the Fahrenheit scale, but still a very, very pleasant afternoon. Just that little wind that's just caused the incident over at the ESM trailer. And the. Actually, somebody take a picture of that. And, I uh, uh, At Gearbox Girl, uh, if you uh, want to see that, happened right in front of us. And Emma Crawley saying, if it's blown by the wind anywhere near in racing cars, it's on Rachel Lamont. Midweek Motorsports, <laughs> where <laughs> awnings matter. <laughs> very good. I'm just relieved that's not where I parked my rental car because I did see them move a few cars after that. And uh, they'll, they'll need that insurance policy. That's not where your car was, is it? No, Can no, no. I'm by the Wayne Trailer. The Wayne, Wayne Trailer. Yes. The, the, the Wayne, Wayne Taylor Trailer. <laughs> the Wayne Trailer. I, I haven't been up since 530. <laughs> <laughs> Same as us. Same as us. Uh, Tim Gray is at Rhode, in Rhode Island at the moment and brings us this piece of news. What have you got for us, Tim? Uh, there's been some Formula 1 testing going on uh, this oh, week in really. Austria. Uh, Nico Rosberg was fastest today. Uh, mm-hmm. ahead of Esteban Gutierrez for Ferrari, Valtteri Bottas, uh, Marco Wittmann, who's uh, testing for Toro Rosso, Pascal Wehrlein uh, in the Force India, Julian Palmer in the Lotus, Fernando Alonso was 7th, Daniel Ricciardo 8th, and Felipe Nasa 9th. Mm. A number of people, including Andy Blackmore. Hello, Andy. Presumably you're taking a break after doing the brilliant spotless guide of which we could not uh, do without. I did see he was doing a Tour de France spotless guide. As well, Ooh. which I'm, really? I'm, yes, and uh, Jim and I are both big There's uh, a lot fans. Of them. I don't think it's individuals. I think it's probably teams. teams. 
But, uh, you know, impressive. No artistic um, impressions to their faces. D- does he list the, the doping credentials? Oh, stop. Stop. Oh. Put that down. Put that bone down, Mr. Roller. Uh, a number of people saying David Coulthard retired and then went back and raced at Race of Champions, although he wasn't the champion. Yeah, but does a Race of Champions really count as coming out of retirement? It's kind of a celebrity race anyway. Yeah, it's comp- I tell you what, mate, it's taken pretty, oh, se- pretty no, seriously. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I don't mean by the competition. I mean, mm. it's... Yeah. yeah. Tom always said he was only retiring... He said to us, if you remember, on that show, on that Midweek Motorsport show, when we covered his retirement in Swedish on the Wednesday, he said to us that he was retiring... Danish. uh, What did I say? Swedish. Uh, He's not Nick Janssen. No. He hasn't retired. No. Um, uh, uh, He said that he was retiring from professional motor racing at the highest level. And Alan McNish said that he was retiring from LMP1 racing. But I get the the suspicion from Alan that he's not interested in driving well, he didn't anything again. Of course, I may have mistranslated. Didn't he? He no, he didn't renew his license, license and still perhaps. hasn't. Yeah. Uh, of course, then again, as I was thinking, it was Swedish. Maybe I mistranslated that when Tom was uh, <laughs> was talking to me. He may have said something else. Actually, what he what he said was, "I'm so pleased to be finished, so I don't have to listen to your bad translations of Scandinavian languages." Kind of. I, um, I think he said he was retiring from snowmobile racing. <laughs> if I understood it correctly. Uh, he's not going to fish anymore. <laughs> uh, James Winter says, "Where in Rhode Island is?" Tim, obviously somebody wants to, you know, mm-hmm. say hello to. Where are you in Rhode Island, uh, Tim? I'm you in said Newport. You were Newport, Rhode Island. Yeah. Okay. Fairness, Home of the Rhode America's Cup. Very big. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot in uh, Rhode Island. There's uh, Newport. There's Middletown, and there is Portsmouth. And Portsmouth and doesn't Watch Hill. have anything. And there's Watch Hill. Of course, as a Southampton supporter, you couldn't possibly go to Portsmouth, could you? Definitely not. Yeah. I did go to Middletown today on the train <laughs> and then came back. Down to Watch Hill. It'll change your life. If, if you are listening to us uh, in uh, and thinking of coming to Watkins Glen at the weekend or you're planning to come to Watkins Glen or you may even be already en route or getting ready to come to the circuit, I can heartily recommend an early morning fi- fishing trip. Um, which is what we got up early for this morning. The pace, I've never been so excited doing a, a mile and a half an hour. It was absolutely fantastic. Some, uh, we've, we've got some dinner sorted already with uh, about a dozen or so lake trout. And it's, uh, what was the name of the lake we were on, Jim? Cuca Lake. Cuca Bigfoot Charters. Yeah, but in, in the website's... www.cucabigfoot.com and uh, as for Dick, he'll sort you out. We had a lot of fun uh, this morning doing that. On my very first time fishing from a boat, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, and I'd, I'd, it's a perfect counterpoint to the uh, supercharged, uh, super fast sporting that we'll be seeing, sporting events that we'll be seeing this weekend. So those of you perhaps who are here for the teams or anything like that, if you've got half a morning, half a day, then I would heartily recommend it. And I tweeted that this morning. Uh, it is now in the UK, 10 minutes to 9 o'clock. Welcome along if you're just joining us. A little bit late for Midweek Motorsport tonight. We've been discussing uh, Grand Prix still talking about going to America, Americans buying Formula One, and a whole host of other stuff as well, which will be on the website as fast as humanly possible at the end of the show tonight. But now Tim Gray is going to take us in which direction, Tim? Where would you like to go? Uh, I want to go to bikes, but I'm going to go via rallying. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. Gary Jennings achieved a sensational overall victory on last weekend's Jules Donegal International Rally using his Kimo Shod Subaru S12B to beat Declan Boyle's Ford Fiesta WRC into second place by no less than a minute 7.1 seconds. No less than that? So was it more no than less. that? 
No, it was exactly So was it that. 10 minutes? Was it a deer? <laughs> this is the second time 2013 Irish Rally Champion Jennings has won the Ireland's premier event in the last four years, but also a highly notable result for the Letterkenny-based co-driver Rory Kennedy, who last triumphed in his home rally exactly 20 years ago and has since become the most successful co-driver in the history of Irish tarmac rallying. How did that not make pointless press release of the week? It's more of a heritage thing, isn't it? We used to do regular updates on Irish rallying, tarmac rallying. True. That's very true. And that press release just dropped in, and uh, and I thought that was about a core driver. That was a core driver. Mm. Hey, Uh, just for Lamont says I received my beat the team swag bag today. Uh, Very grateful, and uh, we we as compliment slips we used uh, Lamont tickets from this year, and uh, we signed them and sent them through. Um, So that's getting framed, says just for Lamont. But thank you, and thank you for. For uh, for beating us last year, so all good stuff. Uh, right, you said you were going to bikes via rallying. Yes, so we've done the uh-huh. rallying. Uh, so now the bikes. And uh, yeah. Qatar has signed a 10-year extension of its MotoGP contract, right. uh, which means there'll be another 10 of those at least. Hmm. I actually quite like that event, in fairness. I think that works well. Uh, yes. The It's, it's it called Sahel it Circuit, isn't it? Yes. Um, in Qatar, they run it at Lozile. night. Yeah, the, uh, Lozile, sorry, Lozile uh, circuit. So and I is obviously a French uh, touring car driver. <laughs> Ayari. The Ayari circuit, yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, Lozile circuit. And uh, it, it, those, the, that sport is made yeah. for running under light. It looks, it's, it pops. It's so bikes much. gleam. Yeah, it's almost video game like. We said this at the, at the start of the season when it happened. It's almost video game like. It almost has that, particularly in HD. And when 4K comes, and yeah, I think they were yeah. doing some 4K trials at Le Mans, interestingly, on yep. on board cameras. We were yep. wondering about that uh, there. Uh, Andy Blackmore says, um, "Can you please say a thank you to everyone on the collective, the Le Mans Spotless Guide." got over 100,000 unique downloads, plus what Nissan got from uh, the press release. Uh, So, uh, well, splendid work. Um, Splendid work, to be honest, Andy. Uh, You continue to amaze us with what you do. And putting the garage numbers on there this year. Really, really oh, yeah, point. yeah, that was very good. Very good. Well done, Andy. Uh, he's uh, busy on the uh, Watkins Glen International Spotter Guide, uh, and uh, then he's uh, off on holiday uh, later on in the week. Andy, we salute you, and on behalf of all of the listeners, and indeed, there was not a cabin in the TV compound that didn't have a large format version of the... Blackmore Sporters Guide on there. It has become uh, as essential a part of the Le Mans 24 Hours as taking your own lavatory paper, frankly. Um, <laughs> the St- Stephen uh, Stephen That's where Gate, I went wrong. Uh, yes. <laughs> Stephen Gate, along with another people, uh, a few other people saying, did uh, uh, Lacey and Fizzy Keller actually retire before they went on to do other things? And uh, no, Keller hasn't retired. No, yet. he just changed over, didn't he? Uh, so we—it's uh, five minutes to nine. We've got one more story before half time, I think, Tim. Uh, well, we'll stay with bikes because uh, mm-hmm. Renault uh, looks like it's going to lose its MotoGP race. 
This is a funny one, isn't it? Because this was picked up, I think, by one of our listeners last week. Uh, and it, it it hadn't been mentioned anywhere else, so fair play once again to the collector for getting in. I don't know how many of you had picked this up because it was rather under the radar. It's it, Am I right in saying, Tim, because I've glanced at this very quickly because I was literally running for, a, I think, for the plane at the time, that it's it's about the withdrawal of, uh, talked about Azerbaijan and government subsidies, about the withdrawal of government money into that and it makes the, the race not a viable business proposition. I don't even think it's as much as withdrawing the money. I think it's withdrawing the underwriting um, oh. of it uh, in case they don't get money any other way. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's basically it. So they haven't made an official announcement yet. That's expected to come next week. So we'll give you an update next Wednesday on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, if anybody was... has bought tickets, are they likely to get their money back? Is it Or is it one of these things where, I'm sorry, um, it's just not happening, tough luck? We'll find out next week. Okay, fine. Uh, well, fingers crossed if you have bought There was the MotoGP yeah, really. race uh, on the same weekend as Le Mans. Really? Yes, there was. Uh, yes. Uh, and it was won by Jorge Lorenzo. Uh, Again? Who, Did you see who, it? Uh, oh, he was... Lorenzo... We, all did we us... see it? I think we were all a little busy doing something else, John. <laughs> what? We can't multitask now. Can't have two screens going. Can't maybe DVR it whilst you're in France and watching it when you get home. I went back Ooh, to Canada, the land that. of no internet or mm. television. <laughs> yes, that's right. The whole of Canada don't have television, do no, they? No, no, we don't. That's right. I have that big primitive. aerial, that huge aerial in Toronto. Nothing. No telly at all. Just static. That's, that's <laughs> a radio. <laughs> it's running a marathon. Was um, third. Um, and, uh, and, and second was? championship. You missed second out. I told you Rossi was second. I'm just All trying right, to work Rossi out who was fourth. It was uh, Yanoni fourth, Bradley Smith fifth, uh, and uh, Vinales sixth, Scott Redding seventh. Where was Marquez? Fell off Ooh, again. No yeah. He, yeah, isn't that amazing? And, and the thing is, it, it is like somebody has done a confidence swap and a talent swap between Lorenzo and Marquez because Marquez is right back where he used to be and... There were many people writing him off at the start of the last end of last season, the beginning of this year. Um, Valley has got to get better starts. He's got to qualify better, and he's got to get better starts. If he could do that, he would, the championship would be sewn up already. Championship is fantastically well poised at the moment, but it's the two Yamaha guys at the front of the field. Um, brilliant ride by Lorenzo. Brilliant ride by. Um, Valentino Rossi as well but he's just qualifying too far down the grid and leaving himself too much to do although I, I, there was there was a part about three quarters two thirds of the way through where I thought he perhaps just managed his race better than, it, than in fact he had done he was just he just had to push too hard to get back towards uh, back towards his teammate it's I, it's been a great season this year in a very different way than it was last year um, mm. you know Marquez was just so dominating but but brilliant to the point of being breathtakingly brilliant. And he just, this year, whether it's, you know, the new bike, what it is that he's just not getting his head around, but the, he just seems to have been a little bit under pressure. I said to Nick a few weeks ago, are we, is he now being found out? Is he not as good as we think he was? And, and Nick just said, no, he is as good he's as we think he was. He's just, he's just not got it at the They're, moment. Well, and I think other people have raised their game, too. Mm. And maybe he didn't raise his. Maybe he reached a plateau 
and other people have, have caught him because I think the amazing thing about him is his ability to lay the bike over oh. so much further than everybody else. And I think now people are getting more confidence in doing that same thing. Un- not unlike when Kenny Roberts first went to MotoGP back in the 70s, and he was the first guy to even lay a bike over at all and just absolutely thrashed everybody. And then as soon as everybody else figured out, well, if he can do it, I can do it. Yeah, getting off the out bike. How to do it, yeah. Getting off the bike and, and laying it over. Pretty soon he had a lot of competition. I, I by accident, completely caught some... Um, old footage of motorcycle racing on, on one of the TV channels. I don't think I was back at home, actually. I think it was when we were away somewhere. And was watching it literally slack-jawed at how the riding styles have changed. Oh. Now, a lot of that's tyre technology. Right. A lot of that is bike technology. But having ridden bikes in that era, not racing bikes, but looking at, at the racing bikes then and how much they were similar to the road bikes, whereas looking at the racing bikes now, and for most of us, looking at our road bikes and they're nothing like right. them. It is, it's, it's like they've gone to the moon and back. It, it, it has just, <laughs> you know, it's changed so much. The sport has changed so much. But it hasn't lost the essential mano a mano and, and that, even if you're a, a biker, particularly if you're a biker, I think, you watch motorcycling now as you watch then and, and, and say, I could never do that. I don't care how good I am. I can't ride a bike like those guys. And if if you've ever ridden a motorbike hard and you've got the back end po- hopping around and you're getting it popping up onto its front wheel, even if, you know a race bike, a fairly light race bike, you get that happening and you're flinging it around the track. You're getting your knee down. You do a set of knee sliders in an afternoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Done all that. And and it makes you feel like a god when you're doing it. But even then, if you've done it, done that, you look at what those guys do and go, no, yeah, absolutely yeah. not. When you look at a rally driver, you think, oh, my God, that's unbelievable car uh-huh. control. When you look at a MotoGP racer, you just think, oh, my heavens, that the cojones that ha- has to take. It's actually a good analogy, isn't that. it? That is a good analogy because both of the time you can see how hard the guys are working. Mm-hmm. I think one of the criticisms that is somewhat unfairly leveled at Formula One and other forms of motorsport is it looks like the guys are, are, are making it look too easy. And I accept that there's lots more driver aids nowadays, but no doubt there are very few people who could get into a Formula One car and be anywhere near competitive other than the guys who were already driving it. But I understand when people say from the outside it doesn't look that difficult. Right. And you it can has, never say that about MotoGP. No, exactly. <laughs> and, it, and it has gotten too easy in the sense that there's no penalty or consequence for a mistake. Yeah. In MotoGP... There is a penalty and a consequence for a mistake. Oh, yeah. You fall off your bike. And then you have these spectacular crashes. Like, um, I think there were two at Coda where people went right over the handlebars. And then they get up and walk away, which makes you think, okay, they're not made of human flesh and bone. They're made of metal. But and rubber. Or Gumby. Rubber. Or yeah. Gumby. Yeah. <laughs> it's Gumby and leathers. But you can't help respect them. Oh, it's you do. It's exactly. Completely, uh, completely bonkers. Uh, before we end this hour of the program, let's have a look at the MotoGP points. I said it was uh, tight at the top of the standings, and Tim Gray has the stats for us. Valentino Rossi, 138. Jorge Lorenzo, 137. You did that in the kind of voice, Tim. Hang on, you've got to do that. Do that again, exactly the way you do. Just, but just pause after after each of the drivers' names. Go. Four, five, four, five, five. No, it was it was Valentino Rossi, Yamaha. 
It's, it sounds oh, like you're giving election. out election yes. results. <laughs> Sorry, do that again. What did you say that uh, Rossi had? Uh, 138. And? Okay. Lorenzo, 137. Oh, really? Is that tight? Yanone, 94. Davizioso, 83. And then in fifth, Mark Marquez on 69. So oh. half as many points half the as points. Uh, Rossi. And Bradley mm. Smith, 68. <laughs> and uh, a very short uh, superbike story as well go do it uh, yes round four of the British Superbike Championship was at the weekend uh, and it uh, came to an abrupt end for uh, the is he Czech I actually can't remember what yes he is Czech uh, Czech rider Jakob Smears Jakob Smears yeah. yeah with no vowels uh, we ha- we we had a Schmerz, uh at dinner at Hindhoff Towers because he was one of Jeremy's uh, Team USA graduates a few years ago. Uh, I'm not sure if he was related. Uh, it might be a common name in the Czech Probably Republic. Probably not, because mm. Jeremy's would have been American, wouldn't he? Well, no, but I think of definitely of Eastern European descent, and I do think there was motorcycle in the in the family background actually. So. It might, it might have been. Somebody will know. At Specutainment, at Radio Le Mans. Uh, we've just gone over the hour mark by a, a little bit because we were waxing lyrical about uh, motorcycling. Uh, so it's uh, it's time for this jingle. Midweek Motorsport. Half time. And while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. So still to come in hour two of the programme more as we are overlooking Watkins Glen International live as we're preparing, as is the paddock, for the weekend's action on IMSA Radio. Starts on Friday, Tudor United Sports Car Championship uh, Patron, American Endurance uh, at the weekend. Six hours of the Glen on Sunday and all the support races around it are live on IMSA Radio. More about that, hopefully with a bit of Graham Goodwin of DailySportsCar.com to talk uh, about that as well. We've got Jim Roller and Shea Adam here. Everyone is on their travels because even our executive producer, Tim Gray, isn't back in London. That's Johnny Palmer. Tim is in Rhode Island. More of your tweets, please. At Specutainment and at Radio Le Mans. And the second half starts next. Motorsport on RadioLeMans.com. So, into the second half then, Tim. And where do we start? With some touring cars. Oh, what sort of touring cars? Some of the pointless world ones. (laughs) <laughs> okay <laughs> they speak highly of you you know really all of them even Mark Martin Haven doesn't speak that highly of them and he paid to speak highly of them do you want do you want an update on the awnings before we do that yes quickly let's have awning watch yeah awning watch here that, actually we could sell that the BBC but when they're not doing spring watch winter watch whale watch Fly watch, whatever they're doing. Uh, this Coach is awning watch. watch. Yes. Uh, and there is now a cherry picker that's alongside the ESM awning. And it is a tangled mess, I'm afraid, over there at the moment. Two guys on the roof of their semi actually trying to help put it back. Mm. That's going to take a while. Yeah, it's not going to polish out that, is it? No. No. At least the damage would be to the roof, and nobody sees that. <laughs> oh, Yes. Shea Adam, wow. our gearbox girl, always looking on the bright side. Uh, right, let's uh, let's move if on. People Tim could see Greer. the roof; they'd get it sponsored. Yes, exactly. That's a fair point. Well, oh no, we do have helicopter cover this weekend. Right, go on. Sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. Touring uh, cars, Lapierre. world two. 
Nico Lapierre, LMP2 winner at Le Mans with KCMG, is going where? To Paul Ricard to test a Lada Sport Rosneft Vesta TC1. A, a what? A Lada. <laughs> yeah. I, I still think the roast beef Vesta, or whatever it's called, does <laughs> sound like it's some That'll kind do. of packaged meal. In fact, now it is going to be the Vesta roast beef. Um, for, forever. Uh, on the, the, in fairness, that uh, as far as Lard is concerned, with Rice, obviously, yes, needs Vic Rice driving it. Um, we, in fairness, from as far as Lard is concerned, that is actually quite a brave move because that car doesn't exist as a street car yet. It's been previewed um, in the World Touring Car Championship, much as uh, one or two people have done in the past with other racing cars of, of street descent. I think it's not available till September, that car. Mark's a really important uh, new vehicle for Lada. There is there is talk of them trying to re-enter the European market with uh, with that car and uh, racing it, as Tim says. Why is Nico Lapierre testing that car? Uh well, the man in charge of uh, Francois Ribeiro is... Uh, no, the man in charge of the WTCC is Francois Ribeiro. Um, and uh, he said, look at the progress that Lada's making. I said a few races ago, that car deserves three top drivers. And obviously mm. they have Jan van Lagen and Rob Huff. Um So I suspect Nicky Katzberg, who is their current third driver, is probably not happy about that comment from the man running the championship. Mm. Nicky Katzberg was was touted uh, as the next great thing for a wee while and it's been quite quiet this season, hasn't he? I don't know. I pay no attention to World Touring Cars. It doesn't <laughs> exist in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on then. But staying with Touring Cars, uh, right? and this time Touring Cars aren't Touring Cars, uh, DTM the, then uh, the the Delara um with Roof Championship. Yes. And uh, it's a very special anniversary this weekend for Audi. Right. It was 500 their, their 25th anniversary of racing in the DTM. What? Yes. Audi, yeah, that makes sense. Really? Yeah. Not continuously, surely. Yes. Hell, is it 25 years since they came back? Not even going to say it. You weren't even born then, Shay. <laughs> or Johnny. DTM didn't happen for a f- about four years prior to 2000, though. It took a break. Came that back in true. 2000 with a relaunch. And there was the ITC <laughs> in the middle as well. Was there? Was like yeah. DTM, yeah, and, but going to Finland. But was like yes, DTM. Yes. But it was like well, DTM, but with really bonkers cars that were more expensive than anything else, and, modular, and, the, and were fast as anything you like. And they came over Jim here, Roller. too, didn't they? Didn't, they? didn't they race at Sebring? And, um, the ITC. I they went to Sebring, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jim yeah. Sebring and Monterey who, and, and, and Laguna. Jim Roller will tell us who won the street race around uh, Helsinki in Finland. I will. <laughs> Dario Dario Fankitty. Is a correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> well done, well done. Driving a Mercedes Benz, of yes. course. Alfa Romeo in in those days as well. That was there with that the was when five five. Yeah. Those were the days. Huge amounts of money spent on those cars. They were they were unbelievably technologically advanced cars. For in fact, they were probably the most technologically advanced cars of their era. 
in any form oh, of motorist. Definitely. They were super yeah. expensive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And everything, oh, that was where, Modular that was changes, where Audi 15, got the idea yep. for the, the modular rear end at Le Mans yep. from. Yep. That you could change the engine, the gearbox, and the, you know, the rear end. It just all, it was basically held together with, with blue tack and a piece of Velcro. And that was it. There was no bolts at all on them. It's amazing to, to see them. And in fact, Jim, I think I'm right in saying, and Tim, you might remember this as well, am I right in saying that they used to change engines between races? Yes, and there was a 15-minute window to do that. Oh. Just rolled the whole front Wasn't that right, out. Tim? Wasn't there, there was a time limit. Oh, I might it be was wrong a time 15, limit, yes. Um, I can't remember if it was 15 or 30, but it wasn't very long. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. But a bit, and all, to change an engine. All of the clip, all of the electrics and all of the lines were all like dry breaking. And it literally, yes, it was like Lego. They yes. literally unplugged the front end as one unit, took it out, put a new one in, put the bodywork back on, and then the same at the back where the, the rate, and there were four-wheel drive as well, of course, so super quick, loads of downforce, huge V8 power plants, hugely powerful V8 power plants, phenomenal pieces of kit. Phenomenal pieces of kit. But, of course, they were far too expensive and imploded upon themselves. Very nearly killed the DTM. Well, in fact, it did kill the DTM, as Johnny rightly says, for a little while until it was relaunched in the early 2000s, would it have been, Johnny? It was Johnny? 2000, exactly. Yeah, because I think the last year of the super high-tech stuff was 96, and then it didn't happen for oh, three wow. years and came back in 2000, yeah. We did the concept car at RML when I was working at RML. We did the concept car, which was the um, Opel Coupe for the 2000 version of it. And we turned that around in the the concept car. We turned around, I think, in three or four weeks. And then the running prototype, we turned around in another six weeks after that. It's quite remarkable. That was a um, an Opel Coupe the, uh, that looked a bit like the, the front-wheel drive car, but of course it wasn't. It was all rear drive. Amazing piece of kit even then, but that was all good stuff. Um, oh, so that's uh, DTM then, not coming to the UK this year. Uh, you mentioned uh, Alfa Romeo there, and uh, I suspect that's why mm. Johnny Palmer's pricked up his ears. Um, yes. And I'm going to go off on an Alfa Romeo tangent here. Excellent. Uh, well done. That's exactly what this show's about. They're opening the Alfa Romeo Museum to the public. Really? Yes. From when? Uh, from June the 30th. Uh, the same day of the, as the Henry Surtees karting? As, as everything, yes. yes. But uh, it's going to be open every day after that, except for Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> what happens Tuesday? They're closed. Oh, they have a day off. Oh, yeah, fair it's enough. closed. Uh, yeah. It's so, a closed. Yeah, so it's open Wednesday to Monday uh, from 10am to 6pm, except on Thursdays when it's open till 10pm. I have to do the... I'm representing Nick here, as I said. He's a closed on the Tuesdays. <laughs> OK. Johnny, do you fancy a run down? Where is it? Uh, well, yeah, where, where is, is it, it, Tim? It's well, in Milan. I, I absolutely do. Milan. 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 OK. Uh, well, I, I think that um, our very lovely friends at Alfa Romeo UK, um, mm. me, you, a, uh, a, a small baggage in an Alfa Romeo 4C oh. should be going to do an, in, uh, uh, an inside story on that, shouldn't we? Can I just say that I, enjoy, I thoroughly enjoyed a Father's Day on Sunday with my dad. We headed up to Goresworth Hall in Macclesfield for the National Alpha Day. Oh, Beautiful weather. Stuff, and they had about 11 4Cs on display. Your dad's a proper alphaholic, isn't he? He is, yes. They had some classic alpha suds there and he was looking back to those days where he had, uh, I think, three in a row, actually. Did he? Oh, yeah. 
He loved the Alpha Sword. The car of the decade, he would constantly they say to me. They lasted a month each, and then they went. <laughs> <laughs> That's they a did, bit odd. <laughs> they did end up in a rusted pile of metal by the end of it, but oh he loved every, every minute of owning one. So I think that's that's me and you, uh, and something with a four-leaf clover on the side of it, uh, a road trip to Milan, and the Alpha, and inside the Alpha Museum. I mean, obviously, we're only doing it because the collective wants to know, Johnny. We'll, we'll sacrifice ourselves at that altar, won't we? For research purposes, yes. I'll, I'll <laughs> certainly uh, plumb plumb those depths. Okay, I'm, I'm even as we speak. Uh, well, don't spoil it for us now. We want to be enthralled when we get no, there. I'm, I'm going to give you give you some bits to uh, make your mouth water. All right. Uh, so the first section of the museum is called Timeline, uh, uh-huh. and that occupies the entire first floor. Uh, about It's about the development of the Alpha brand. Uh, yep. The second part uh, is on the ground floor. It's called Beauty. Um, and is split into sections called Masters of Style or even uh, Maestri uh, dello Stile, uh-huh. uh, La Scuola Italiana, the Italian school, uh, Alfa Romeo nei Cinema, uh, Alfa Romeo in the movies, uh, Il Fenomeno Giulietta, the Giulietta phenomenon, Giulia uh-huh. uh, Designata dal Vento, uh, Giulia, designed by the wind. And then the third area is called Speed, and that fills the basement uh, and uh, features cars from Alfa Romeo's major victories, uh, starting with Nasce la Legenda, A Legend is Born, uh, and then uh, Progetto uh, 33, and La Corsa Nella DNA, uh, which is about Alfa Romeo's DNA in racing. Which is interesting because they do have a uh, DNA switch now in the cars. Yes. Yes. Uh, The fourth section is called uh, Tempio delle Vittorie, the Temple of Victories, Mm. uh, which uh, includes a playful and spectacular finale called the Bolle Emozionale, or the Emotional Bubbles. (laughs) Right. You can stop now. Uh, I've got to do some more tweets. That's the end of it anyway. Uh, uh, Rotation says, I hope Tim Gray is happy. Lots of people are going to be looking up the old DTM uh, stuff from Avos now. And uh, among others, uh, Hannes Quaglia reminds me, I got very um, misty-eyed about old uh, ITC cars. They were V6s, not V8s. Absolutely, they were. I did know that. I just got carried away. Sorry. Uh, it's just thinking about them that uh, brought it all back. So Johnny and I on a road trip, a midweek motorsport inside story road trip to Milan. Uh, for the Alpha uh, factory. Are we going to get Graham Goodwin on, by the way? Have we heard back from the editor of DailySportsGuard.com? Or shall we just preview the... He's tweeting like crazy. He is tweeting like crazy. Excellent. I'm just going to preview uh, the race. finish this uh, Audi story? Uh, oh, yes, go we on. never really mentioned that uh, it was in 1990 um, Hans Stuck uh, took the Audi V8 Quattro to victory at the Norris Ring. Uh, mm. They won two consecutive DTM titles in 1990 and 1991. Mm. And uh, they're celebrating this weekend when they go back to the Norris Ring um, by putting that Hans Joachim Stuck livery onto Matthias Ekstrom's car. That's become a bit of a thing, hasn't it, recently? Revamping old livery um, and putting them on. Nissan did it, of course, with the 1990 Paul Sitter at Le Mans. 
uh, and we've had BMW. a BMW the, the, 75, the, the livery. 75 livery yes that was, that's worked so well even to the thing is as Andy Blackmore it's about time we had another Andy Blackmore moment when he's at a racetrack and talking about classic old liveries and why certain ones work and don't but the good ones will work on current cars and, and it, it, it I think it's a great idea I love I love it and what it does mean is you get to see those very evocative colours Again, so that works for me. Midweek Motorsport, Series 10, Episode 25. It's Shea Adam, Jim Roller and me, John Hindorf at Watkins Glen International, overlooking the pit lane. And good news, bad news. Good news, the ESM awning, we're on awning watch here, uh, has now been at least dismantled from the twisted metal that it was, Shea. You've been watching this, keeping a close eye on it as our, one of our uh, Continental Tire pit lane reporters. The... Uh other news, though, it's not actually ESM. I think it's our friends at Performance Tech. Ah. There's now a banner on the far side with a big blue 38 on it. So ah. if it's Brent yes. O'Neill and those guys, sorry about it, guys. I know you've had a long drive up from Fort Lauderdale, and hopefully at least Brent will buy a nice round of beers tonight to make up for this. Ooh, okay. Uh, and uh, meantime, the weather is still lovely. By the way, and Tim Gray is in Rhode Island and uh, is still uh, sort of driving it's the show along. Still lovely Good, excellent. He's still Lovely driving the show on. Although Johnny Palmer is uh, doing the production down in uh, the UK and now looking up, even as we speak, the Alpha Museum in Milan and how long it will take to drive there. 76 and partly cloudy uh, at the moment. Uh, hardly no, cloudy. 78 here. Cloudy no, it's, 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 and I think it's warmer than 76 as well. Where to next, well, Tim Gray? Yeah, sure. Where to next, Tim? Uh, I think we need to do some... Sports car news? Should we do some indie car? Because I'm trying to get uh, hold of Graham Goodwin before we do sports car news. Okay. Um, well, there is a Go on then, fire away. Um, do you remember earlier in the year uh, there was a race that wasn't a race? Hashtag mm-hmm. no laps. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, now it's turned into a lawsuit. Really? Yes. According to the New Orleans Advocate, uh, a subsidiary of Andretti Sports Marketing uh, has filed a lawsuit against NOLA Motorsports Park, uh, the company which built and owns the road course on which uh, IndyCar raced in April. Um, The Andretti Group is the promoter of the race and uh, says it had claimed it had assurances from NOLA Motorsports that there'd be enough state grant money to help compensate the company for its services. Uh, and according to the uh, New Orleans advocate, that is not the case. So it's about a short payment then. And, hang on, not <laughs> not Jim Roller's surprised face there. It's Louisiana. It's the most corrupt state in the, of the 50. Really? Contigu- oh, my God. Is that a fact? Yes. Do we have to say allegedly there at this point? No, it, it's up there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In yeah. the league table. It's in the top yeah. three. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It is the Romania of the United States. Yes, it yes. is. Allegedly, yes, it is. allegedly, please. No. Allegedly. You don't need to say allegedly because the European the Union pe- has actually done a league table of the most corrupt European countries and Romania is number to- is at the top with Excellent. Bulgaria well, second and Slovakia uh-huh. third. And right. this is my opinion. Okay, yes, okay. Um, okay, can, can we do... Allegedly. Whilst we're opinion. to... Well, it's alleged, no, no, it really is his opinion. Stop the fist pumps, you two. <laughs> um, whilst we're there, can we talk about another circuit? Can we talk about Maserati Laguna Seca, or are you saving that for later? No, you can talk about that. 
whilst you're trying to get Graham. That's that, I think that probably works because the story we're talking we've talked about. Can a couple I give of... one more line about Nola though? Yes, you can. Uh, apparently, it's now nearly insolvent and uh, has pri- prioritised paying off vendors who might be able to place liens on the track rather than Andretti. Nearly insolvent. Nearly. That, Again. That's like a bit pregnant, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You're either insolvent or you're not. <laughs> almost like, completely. Like almost completely and utterly uniquely completely insolvent. Yeah, that's right. And uh, absolutely free. Oh, dear, dear, dear. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you, Tim. Uh, more from Tim Greer and Johnny Palmer in a moment. The uh, Master Race Wheel are going to take a story that uh, surfaced this week. Uh, dug up by Graham and by Marshall, actually. Interesting one, this. Um, let's do a little bit of the background, first of all. For those of you that don't know, Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca is not unique, but certainly a bit of an oddity when it comes to racing circuits. It's slightly because it's <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. I'm trying to be sensible here. This is an important story. Um, it... it uh, it's it's certainly not unique in being part of a state park or part of uh, some kind of local government-owned land. We think of places like uh, um, Monza, and you know, particularly they've had problems developing that circuit over the past. It, it, it is a state park. The Sebring. Sebring is part of a state park as well. Oh, and, the airport. Uh, yes, the airport is, absolutely. Mazda uh, Raceway Laguna Seca has been, since its inception, I believe, run by what is effectively a volunteer organisation, SCRAMP, Scram. Um, which they do all kinds of fundraising, they make sure that the, obviously they have some paid employees and uh, you know the circuit is run on a business-like manner, but in terms of its committee, it's, it's run by a set of volunteers from the local area, which means there's a heck of a lot of buy-in from the local area that perhaps you don't get at, at other race circuits. And that's the upside. The downside is, in recent years, it's been rather struggling, has it not, to be able to compete against other venues who can put large amounts of cash down to series and say, hey, MotoGP, hey, you know, America. What, whatever, come here. And, and in fact, MotoGP is, is the one that has been the, the most well uh, publicised because that went down a quarter with a with a huge amount of money being offered to to MotoGP to go there. And it was Laguna's biggest event. And it was uh, and it worked so well there. Laguna yeah. made some some changes. In fact, that spent, uh, spent curbs untold mm. millions to raise the circuit profile to what the folks in the motorcycle racing series wanted with the gravel traps with the curbing a certain way. That sort of stuff, which actually caused them some of the gravel trap locations actually caused them problems, Shay, uh, when the cars came to race there because they'd pull so much stuff up onto the racetrack. Well, and that's something we're still seeing in yeah. the races. It, this year, we saw that was a factor. We saw um, Ben Keating went mm-hmm. a little bit offline and wound up hitting a grate that he didn't know was there because it was in the gravel. But it did make the motorcycle racing safer, and it made that a better event, so it was something people were willing to deal with. And it shows how important that event was that they would sacrifice other event quality yes. to keep the motorcycle people happy, and yet they were abandoned over, over, over money. Dealing with an organization like Scramp is good news, bad news. Yes, you have community buy-in in most yeah. cases, but it's rule by committee. 
Yes. And sometimes decision making can, can be, be slowed down. Yes. Yes. And, and if and if you get a stubborn person on the board, good, bad, or indifferent, you know, who doesn't agree with one item, yeah, it can be held up. Now the the news that we talk that's the backstory. Um, I've always enjoyed going there. Uh, it was one of the first places I went to in the one U.S. Of my the first year. Places to go in the world. It, it's. It is literally God's country. The area around there is, is very, very beautiful. Uh, there's some good places to, to, to go to eat. There's a lot of th- nice things to do. It's a nice drive up there from San Francisco Airport. Wine. There's wine. I was trying there's to leave wine. that bit out, if I'm honest. There's bacon. Carol Brink. There's Carol wine. Brink is there as well, of there's course. Bacon. And there's wine and, and more bacon. wine. Um, and this bacon. week, this, this week we hear that... Uh, the International Speedway Corporation, and we're at one of their tracks right now here at Watkins Glen, um, is interested in um, looking at some kind of deal to run Master Race for Laguna Seca. Now, the first thing that we've got to say here is that oh, everyone is running around saying, oh, my God, it's going to be bought up. Oh, it's going to be done this. It, 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 because of the fact that it's a state park and it, it, it actually backs onto some still some military firing ranges and military land it's it, this this would be what it looks like at least jim this would be a deal to to operate the facilities rather than to buy the land that it's actually on much like sebring is an app actually an operational contract right um and i think that in this case you'll see a deal done now i'll be surprised i mean you don't i wouldn't put anything past the uh, the folks at ISC as far as their ability to do a deal, John, because they could very well um, get into a situation where they could buy some mm-hmm. of the facilities if the municipality is willing to let it go. Yes. And that's the part that, frankly, I don't know. So I would hesitate to say clearly that it isn't a sale, but I would be very, very surprised if it is only because it is a municipal uh, a, a municipal deal. Jill Campbell is the um, managing director, CEO, call it what you will. She's the head the of, boss. of things over there. She has a huge amount of experience in American racing, in running tracks, in running events, sanctioning events as well. Was part of the original team that took the American Le Mans series to Portland at the Rose City Grand Prix, of course. Uh, and then ran a number of circuits and events uh, down through the American Le Mans series era. Now, we we haven't been able to get in touch with her today to, to speak with her, but we will try and get a word with Jill in the next couple of weeks to to find out some uh, some comment on, on this. But I think that um, basically what we're looking at, a lot of people saying it's doom, it's gloom, it's everything's going to hell in a handbasket. It's far from that. And... Quite clearly, I think Jill would be the first person to admit that it's been difficult for them to compete on level ground uh, with some of the ridiculous amounts of money that gets bandied about for series to go there. It, what, it, what it means in terms of sports car racing, we don't know yet. What it means in terms of how the calendar would look and, and things like Ren Sport are there, is there later in the year. They have the Monterey Historics there, which is a huge, huge event. Well, and they are only allowed to hold so many events per year. Mm-hmm. So to make a calendar, that was one of Jill's big challenges each year, was putting a calendar together because she had to pick, she had to weigh, you know, when she would get to the limit of her events, although I want to do this or I want to do this, which is going to be a better fiscal decision. And 
that was the most difficult part of her job. So yeah. all of those elements are, are still going to come into play, I think. Something that we'll keep our eye on here at Midweek Motorsport. It's half past nine in the UK, and we can say good evening to the editor of DailySportsCar.com, Graham Goodwin. Hello, Graham. Uh, good evening, everybody over there. I'm terribly sorry it's so windy. It's gorgeous here. Um, well, it's it's still pretty pleasant uh, here uh, as well, in fairness, Graham. Um, um, there's, there's no need for you to apologise about the the time that we're having here on my first trip to Watkins Glen <laughs> International and ticking that one off. Have you been here before? Never been there before. No, never no it's, there. it's a one that I've had to tick off, uh, I've got to say. It. And it's, I was ridiculously excited as we uh, drove that's, in that's not today. Like that's not like you at all, John. And he hasn't even gotten the Grand Tour yet. He hasn't seen the old circuit. He hasn't seen downtown yet properly. No, no. We came in the back way this morning in a beautiful Copious runover. Copious quantities of cowpole for Mr. Hindopi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, rhino darts, do, I think. Do save that till I get there, Jim, please. Oh, yes. Uh, well, Graham Goodwin joins us from DailySportsGuard.com. A couple of things I want to... Uh, I'm sure Tim has some bits and pieces for you as well. Do you want to get your bits out of the way first? Because I've got a couple of things for Graham as well. Gra- no, you do uh, your Tim. bits first, because I could only find one story and it wasn't very big. All right, OK. A uh, f- couple of things, uh, first of all, Graham. Um, the... Um, obviously, everybody's still basking in the the glorious reflections from Le Mans a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, some very interesting bits and pieces coming out of that, particularly the, the, some good news, bad news, actually. Very good news that Roald Gotha's going to be okay, it yeah. looks, after that very nasty accident. But what was missed, and I have to say I missed this, I didn't realise the what I was seeing when we were seeing it from the onboard. The the winning Porsche actually put him off the track. It, it did. I, I have to say we did spot it. I think Roald was slightly concerned that... Uh, that the opinion that had been out there somewhere in and otherwise in electronic media land was that he'd he'd more or less kind of overcooked it and driven off the track. He actually got tagged by the Porsche closing gap at the apex of that turn. You know, I think you could certainly say it was a race against him without shadow of a doubt. It was a miscalculation, certainly on the parts of uh, Nico Hulkenberg for it was he. And, you know, whether or not Roald could and should have seen him coming is open to argument. But the reality is, come on, fill in the gaps, guys. It's the passing car's um, responsibility to get by safely. So, uh, and I think the second part of it was, you know, I think what we all saw as being a horrific um, impact with that wall on the exit. And that's not the second time we've seen that, or indeed the third time we've seen that. And I think he makes the perfectly correct point that if ever there was a wall that needs protecting there by tyre barriers or safer barriers, that's it. Uh, But he's been a very lucky boy, two fracture vertebrae, a very similar... um, Surgical procedure has helped Kazuki Nakajima. Uh, yeah. What is what is known, I gather, as spinal jacking, which sounds horrific. Um, with you know, I think I used injected. to do that in the. Uh, no, I you think I used to do that to house mu- to house music in the 1980s. No, I think it's <laughs> and so, and something similar to dad dancing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway uh, all good news. Poor Shay's just fallen on the floor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, that's just the thought of me doing any kind of dancing that worries her. Uh, so that's that's at least some good news for for Roald. His uh, enthusiasm does not seem to have been diminished. I think he was a bit disappointed, as you rightly said, with uh, with one or two comments that came from other areas of the of the media, not us. Hasten to add, but uh, it seems as though his, his uh, enthusiasm for the sport is not diminished. Uh, no, I think it'd be a little wee while before we see him back in a car. Uh, I think that remains to be seen. He goes back for another scan in two or three weeks. But it was excellent to hear him in such good spirits 
and excellent too to hear how many people in the motorsport community pulled together to make sure he got the right help um, as quickly as he yes. did. And so hands up there to the Toyota guys and the people involved in Kazuki Nakajima's recovery and indeed to the Verts family. And uh, I know uh, Roll's uh, wife is a very good friend of Julia Verts, and I gather that they were hugely helpful in making sure that should the first of a first uh, preferred surgeon not be available, the second was made available. And that's uh, that's heartening to hear and see, isn't it? I, I love our motorsport paddock. I love our sports car paddock. It, re- it, really, it really is fantastic. Um, a couple of other things coming out of, uh, of Le Mans. Um, following up on uh, a couple of stories that we were talking about there, which is pertinent to this weekend as well. As we uh, told everybody in Le Mans week, in fact, I think before the race start, the Labra competition car has made its way out here and will be the three car this weekend for here and for the next event. As we were saying earlier on in the week, it'll be refreshed and then taken back to Europe for, for Labra whilst the new car is built. That that was a pretty nasty accident for, for Jan Magnussen, but his recovery has, has gone very well. He's fine, yeah. I mean, you've got the Labra car over there, so look, uh, the, it, I'm not sure whether or not they've changed the stickers on the car. If it has still got the McDonald's stickers on, there'd be lots of drive-throrus, of course. So we have to be ah, hey, see you all weekend. Uh, absolutely, but... <laughs> um, great work from the Corvette guys there. When they realised they had a, something a surfeit of uh, engineering know-how, everything was thrown at getting that uh, Labra car back out uh, for the race proper. Um, after Gianluca Roda's whoopsie in the warm-up, uh, they got it out on track. Unfortunately, fell victim to uh, a gearbox issue that put the car out. But you know, just one quick moment about the Mont John. Uh, I thought it was the best I've seen uh, by a long chalk. Uh, I thought it was great action in all four classes. I think everybody that went, everybody that watched, everybody that listened ended up royally entertained. And there were some huge stories there and I think some bigger ones to come. Uh, and other stories coming through this week. Uh, more LMP3 news coming through. And it looks like it won't be too long before we see the first of a non Janetta LMP3 chassis. Well, you'll see the Estoril. You'll see certainly one. Graf Racing have signed on the dotted line for the first car. We've got um, two and this cars. Is a... This is a Ligier, sorry, LMP3. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. We've got uh, Extreme Limite, another team that has got Le Mans uh, in their past. Uh, look to have Le Mans in their future as well. They're going to be going LMP3 racing next year with a view towards uh, LMP2 in the future again. And then finally, uh, the, the third and fourth of four cars now confirmed sold for... Ligier into P3 are Euro International and this is a team that uh, mm. you're just about old enough to remember John I think it's fair to say the first team that actually brought the no, Ferrari before three, my three, time Graham <laughs> Ferrari 333 to IMSA back in the yep. day and the first team to bring the uh, the car to Le Mans as well and they're going to be back uh, with an ex-LMP1 driver uh, and indeed an ex-Collis driver uh, will be at the wheel of one of those cars and they've got a very interesting programme who's that then who's that um Mondini. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Now, beyond that, they're going to be doing two cars by the look of things in the Asian Le Mans series, which is cracking news for. Oh, that's very good news for that. For that, uh, that uh, organisation. Then on to the European Le Mans series, and there's another team looking to use that as a launch pad for a future P2 programme. That's very, very good news. Another team that you're not going to tell us about. 
No, no, that's, that's the other team over and above Graf that's already said that they want to go uh, Right, OK, OK, so, sorry. So yes, what, I see what, it, what it shows, yes. I guess, there, John, is that people are using LMP3 for two things. They're using it as a commercial vehicle in sports car racing, but they're also using it as a launch pad to move further up uh, the, the, the kind of feeding chain. At 263,000 people at Le Mans, up a little bit on the last few years. Certainly, you know, I, I'm not going to argue with those numbers at all because every time we had to go out and do anything, in the, it seemed like they were all in the village or in the back of the paddock at one stage. Uh, certainly Thursday night was ridiculously busy before we even got to race weekend. Generally speaking, a Le Mans that seemed to work, uh, I heard fewer complaints, not perfect, obviously, but talking to the spectators as we did, heard fewer complaints. Uh, the nightmare that was forecast for Porsche Curves, Maison Blanche campsites didn't happen. In fact, most people who went down to Maison Blanche and toughed it out said it was not as nearly as, nearly as different as they expected it to be with the Porsche Centre there. One or two renamings or rezonings of campsites caught people out. It was a little bit different atmospheres from what they were expecting. Had a few tweets about that. But generally speaking, with the, as I say, over 260 thousand people there Graham I think the ACO will look back on that event and you know we didn't get the close finish that perhaps we expected it was a great result for the event it was certainly a good result for Porsche a good team result for Porsche um, a successful Le Mans I think so. There are very few teams you could turn around and say it was uh, unreservedly bad for. Toyota were one of them, I have to say. Uh, that, yeah. uh, I think it's fair to say, dramatically underperformed. And all sorts of rumours doing the rounds now about what effect that might have on yes. any number of individuals involved in the programme. Let's wait and see. I hope nothing too dramatic, because I think they've just been outstepped by the opposition. I don't think they're doing a bad job. I just think the others are doing a much better job. Fantastic I think the, bi the big program. issue there, Graham, is that they are not in the hunt for the World Championship. No, uh, and go. therefore, Le Mans was their, their big was shot their at winning. Now what they've got to do is plan and scheme and work out how they win at Fuji because that's the yeah. next thing that they have to, to aim for. Uh, Nissan got a car home, although it wasn't classified, didn't do the 70%. Uh, and, and, and I think Nissan, even themselves, were a little disappointed by that. Certainly disappointed by the fact that they had to be given a waiver to get into the race because they didn't make the 110%. But, you know, lots of things contributed to that, including the crack and pace set of the front of the field. The Audi Porsche battle kept us all interesting. Uh, and we should mention there was a there was a disqualification as well, wasn't there? Of course, the there was, the CLM car. This was a yeah. really bizarre one. Now, I mean, okay, look, we we can uh, we can take the Mickey out of Colin Collis. Yes, we can. We can take the Mickey out of Colin Collis repeatedly and often. Uh, but I don't think it should get in the way of the fact that his crew did him proud. Outstanding. They were absolutely outstanding for me. Absolutely right up there for the spirit of the race, the guys. Oh, it was very close, miss. Nick Tandy won that, of course, but it was very, Correctly very so. close. Yes. Yeah. But um, before we move on to CLM, the same canon should be said of the Nissan crew. Whatever the issues for the car, that was a team that pulled together magnificently. And I think if you... Well, I think they've taken... learned a lot as a team. They've oh, learned a lot grief, as yes. a team. A they came grief, into yes. it as a set of individuals who'd been developing a car. They will have left much more as a team than they arrived. Absolutely, and I think that will carry them forward uh, a great deal. But the, the Collis car, yes, um, was neither classified nor indeed uh, well, eventually was excluded. And that was to do with uh, the weight, it was a weight penalty, wasn't it, for Simon Trummer? Is that right? Is he too light? Well, he, he got enough, fat yeah. enough. 
Yeah. <laughs> Never something that's going to be um, point, uh, pointed and levelled at me. In Where were we or when me? you needed him? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, I think the thing is, and this is an odd one, isn't it? Effectively, it means the car ran underweight. And, and people were saying, well, hang on a second, why did it only run underweight when Simon Trummer was aboard? But effectively, what you've got to do is you've got your car weight assumes a certain weight of driver. Correct. If you if your driver isn't that weight, and it's something ridiculous, like is it eighty kilos? It's something ludicrous. Like it's kind of Ant Davidson type size. <laughs> no, Ant, kind of, Ant Davidson is under seventy. McNish was something kind of, like sixty-five. It's fun-sized, isn't it? Really. And the issue with that is, if you are under that, if you are an Alan McNish and Ant Davidson, and you are under. The 80 kilos that you have to be, never a problem with Hindhoff, by the way. Uh, just seeing any. One of your legs is about 80 kilos, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's true. I, I, I could say something very rude at this point, but I won't. Um, <laughs> um, if, you are un, if you are under that nominal driver weight, then the car clearly has to be ballasted up to the weight plus 80 kilos. Now, you don't take that weight in and out. So if only one of your drivers is underweight, effectively the car is running overweight when you've got somebody who's 80 kilos or more sitting in it. It's not... You can do so much with a seat insert, but you can't put 20 kilos in it. <laughs> and it would, it, would, it would seem to be... I'd love that, them to try. I know, exactly, Tim. Yes. <laughs> It'd be Here's fun just, to watch. We're, what are you doing? We're making a seat insert. We're pouring lead around yes. the driver. Absolutely. <laughs> Pure gold. Giving somebody, we, we, yes. Uh, what's happened to your crew member there? He's giving himself a hernia by trying to put the seat insert in. <laughs> Go is back there, to the days when, of... It was when they did the driver changes with the winch. That actually yes, I was gonna, just going to say, going back to the days of yore, putting the knights on top of the horses with a winch. Yeah, well... well it, <laughs> It would appear that Simon Truman wasn't the requisite weight and the additional weight was not added to the car. Yeah. And the reason that it, they're saying it's when he was in the car was the other drivers were either heavy enough or had enough ballast in the car to make them the 80 kilos. Correct. So the car was only underweight when Simon was in it. That yeah, sounds so really odd, I know, but that's, that's the absolutely best right. Tr- that Trummer was trimmer, basically, what it comes down oh, to. Oh, very I think that, but good. It's, but... You know, all I'd say here, John, it's a shame because actually, mm. put aside everything we've said about that team to this point in the season, and frankly, they have been awful on every single level, and then some other levels yeah. I hadn't even thought of. They were that awful, but yeah, that bad. Um, but at Le Mans, they weren't quick, but they were resilient, and I love to see a team trying hard. And, you know, in particular, and uh, a golf clap here for Pierre Caffer. When Pierre was at the wheel in particular, that car yeah. was reasonably quick as well. So if that shows... Well, and he was the only one who got within the 110% uh, in, in terms of qualifying. Yeah, well, Which he's, none uh, of the, the Nissan drivers did, by the way. Do people well, said, spark, people, he, people still? Was, he still has and he still yeah. smiles. Uh, uh, and, and I take exception, by the way, anybody who says we were, we were either being easy or, or ignoring the, the problems at Nissan, I don't think we were. <laughs> I'll be honest that I missed the 110% mark on Thursday night at the end of It's a, something that I normally ask Paul. Uh, I missed it. We did mention it in the grid rundown and we did mention it in uh, the, come up, uh, the running uh, up to... Uh, the race. The other story that I want to talk about, Graham, is something that came out of Le Mans. A number of people saying, what's the point of LMP1L now? Well, of course, there is no LMP1L. There is a privateer class, a non-manufacturer class, which means you can run without curves, but it's no longer called LMP1L. But it does seem to be a bit... 
difficult to attract yes. people to this. And we've said yes. we can't understand why anybody would go to it. And then this week, Tim Greaves and Greaves Motorsports say they would be interested in looking at it. And, well, no, and in fact, they said This it, came John. out of the blue to me. This came no, out of no, the blue. No, no, we what? shouldn't have done because you should have been listening because he said it to us during the pit lane show at Le Mans. Yes, he did. On, he on did. Thursday, yes. But, but yeah. in terms of what do I think is happening, and not all of this has been confirmed by Tim, so there'll be a, an irritating call from Switzerland coming through any moment now. Um, but uh, <laughs> Hello, but, Tim. Hello, Tim. Um, but what I think is happening here is, look, um, they came extremely close to running the Saad LMP2 effort. Extremely yes. close. Yes. And some would say, in the light of actually what, uh, what happened, they probably should have got that deal. But um, Saad already are, I think, the suppliers in the Japanese market for Greaves 3D engineering products. And clearly, I think a, a dialogue has continued with Saad, who are no longer involved with Saad Morand in any meaningful sense other than the name above the door. Um, and I think what we're talking about here is the likelihood is, is that's what this effort would be. It does depend on whether or not the budget can be brought together, but I think that's rather closer than some people might uh, give discredit for. Um, it's one or two cars. We wait and see. We wait and see finally which chassis it is. I, I know there is a favoured chassis, um, but I'm not at liberty to tell you which one that is at the moment. There is a lot going on right now in the world of LMP, both in LMP2, LMP3, as we've just discussed, and yes, LMP1. Um, anybody that is pointing in the direction of saying what geniuses people have been in doing that to LMP2 to point people in that direction, I'm terribly sorry, is barking absolutely up the wrong tree. That's Agreed. not what this is about. What this is about is people seeing the opportunity um, for you know, uh, for a different sort of program to stand out from a crowd. Uh, it remains to be seen exactly what happens with the P2 stuff. Um, I did have one, for my mind, quite surprising answer when I asked a polite question, how many companies have applied for the first stage certification for that, to which the answer is, we can't tell you, um, which leads me to believe there aren't that many. And uh, as I stand at the moment, I think we may have five, and I don't think Delara are one of them. Uh, no, I'm, I'm pretty certain Delara aren't one of them. Jim Roller. Graham, do you think that perhaps some of this interest in LMP1L is as because... Yeah, yeah, private, as privateer was. LMP1, okay. as, as, as privateer we should probably Privateer LMP1 could be coming from the fact that some of these people, like Greaves, who are longtime P2 runners, are seeing an ill wind blowing for P2 and seeing something that is perhaps a little bit more sustainable in P1 privateer. Well, I think it, what it gives them is the opportunity to make their own choices. And I yes, think that's something choice. that's going to be kind of closed right. to them. I mean, we've had, have we not, John, on this show, had a conversation about IMSA GTP before now. Mm -hmm. uh, watch this space. I'm not saying anything more. I don't know anything. But watch this space because I sense a not a wind of change. But the kind of wind that will blow <laughs> over a marquee in, in a pack. Yeah, but I, I genuinely do think there is something. A slight is it a slight draft of change? It's a, a, yeah, it's a, the, door is, the door for change is ajar, and there's a, just a mild breeze breathing through it. I'm, I wouldn't be remotely surprised if we started to see, um, you know, what at the moment has been kind of neatly aligned tents in the, in the, uh, in the, the sports yes. car racing family suddenly I find they're in some disarray with a gust of wind blowing across the paddock. Here's what worries me about what you've been told after that polite inquiry about how many people have applied yeah. is we know for sure some big names who have said they aren't applying. Absolutely. And Gibson aren't. Gibson definitely aren't. Uh, Wolf. Wolf aren't. 
Don't who spent a million euros getting yep. a car to uh, uh, wind tunnel stick. Now, there's an organisation that may decide to take a look at a P1 car. They might yes, exactly. That. Now, can that they was going to be back? my next question. But the answer is, I don't know. But if, if you were them, there are two options. Well, they've got three options. One is to put it all in a skip. Uh, which is not clever. Two is t- to do what they can with what little mm. they can salvage from the plans they've got and come back with a P3 car, which makes limited, if, if any sense at all. Uh, or three is, because let's face it, it's based on the same chassis, is to look at whether or not a P1 car might be possible. But here's, now, here's the thing there, Graham. Oh, here's the thing, uh, here's the thing uh, about that, though, Graham, is that if that was to happen... If you were to get an influx of privateers into P1, uh, like Graves with whatever chassis, like Wolf with whatever chassis, Stracker, whoever, uh, let's assume that that was to happen, that would fundamentally change the balance of the situation within the regional championships. And I think the ACO would have to reinstate P1 P1 privateers as the top class of ELMS. Because um, those people might not want to go WEC racing against the fat race. Well, it does sort of make you wonder what IMSA might do, actually. Because, you know, I think if there's a change coming, that's the direction that's coming It's too expensive, from. Graham. It's but too expensive. Not, not if, the not if you and race do it. Or race five times in, in Europe and go to Le Mans. Sure. Not if you do it in a more sustainable way. And I think you can do it in a more sustainable way. Ooh, okay. particularly, particularly if you're dealing with something which is, you know, potentially... Uh, a more stock chassis. There's nothing wrong with having a stock chassis. What you're looking for is competitive advantage to be drawn from other elements of the of the package. Let's wait and see. I think there's a way to go. Let's face it, we're not even out of uh, stage one of this process yet. But I think mm. that there is there is something moving, John, and it's moving in a pretty seismic fashion that I can feel okay. here. It's not not coming from one direction. Um, it's nothing to do with boy Well, bands. no, because there's just four um, guys who sing a bit. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but just a yeah. quick one, a quick, a quick one on this, and, and it's a, and it's it's uh. opposite to what you've been talking about. Chris Ring has said, um, and, and this is it's absolutely tied in with this. What will Brabham do in 2016? David Brabham, when he spoke to you recently, was very forthcoming about the endurance nature of the project in every sense of the word. He said on Midweek Motorsport on this show that it is his belief that he will be able to brand whatever he does with the Brabham name. Yeah. Uh, in a, in, and he's still looking at a full world championship, WEC, world championship. Next year. Uh, LMP2 event, uh, uh, effort next year. Yeah, correct. So he's talking three to four years P2 uh, based on one car with the option for two should the funding arise. Um, what little David has told me in terms of the detail is there are some serious conversations underway. They're at a reasonably early stage, but the level of hope is high. Um, I, at this stage, knowing some of the people involved in that effort, would mm. suggest to you that's looking pretty rosy at the moment. Certainly rosy than some of the people who actually might even be on the grid this year. Um, yes, but, uh, no, that's I a think, fair point. I think it's, it's fair to say that that is a serious effort moving forward. And there's another team that says three to four years in LMP2 and then looking to do a P1. And what the, the, he means by that is they're looking to build their own P1. You know, yes. Uh, you know, yes, I'm sure there'll be uh, alliances with other people, but you know, this is David, you know, on a bit of a turn at the moment um, towards uh, something pretty special. 
And yes, you know, we could all stand there and say, yeah, but didn't you have that crowdfunding? Did that fail? No, it didn't. You know, this no, is no, all no, about building all. something. This wasn't about rushing in, spending all your money in five minutes and failing. This was about building something, building a, building a business model, building a prospectus, going and talking to serious people with serious amounts of money who are looking to do something proper. And that's what I think we're looking at with Brabham. Are they ready yet? No. Are they getting there pretty quickly? Right, let's uh, get Tim Gray to ask you the, uh, the uh, do the story that he wanted to do if we haven't already uh, covered it because we're running out of time pretty quickly. I do want to have a quick word about the weekend. Uh, Tim, what do you have? Uh, I'm going to talk about Blancpain. Oh, good. Oh, well, so I was going to suggest we talked about Blancpain. Well, you've uh, just got a bit for... you've just got a bit Dalek-y, unfortunately. But it was a win for Nissan, was it not? It was a win for Nissan. I I too can barely hear Tim, but uh, hopefully I'll be able to to, to talk about what it was he wanted me to talk about. Great win for Nissan, uh, indeed. The uh, GT Academy Team RGN guys uh, winning that one from the front. Um, It was a very good race into darkness, a curtain raiser for Spa 24 Hours next month. 66 cars. I was going to say that fabulous photograph that you carried with 66 GT3. That's actually 83 cars on that one because that was the the full grid for the Blompen Endurance Series plus the grid for the GT Sports Trophy for Gentleman Drivers. So the greatest gathering in one place of GT3 cars, it said. The, the The thing I'd say here, John, is look, fabulous. We've got Star drivers coming from every corner. We've got Marcel Fesler, we've got Andre Lotter, we've got Olivier Pla coming in uh, to drive one of the Nissans. We've got all sorts of people coming from all sorts of different places. Um, some great moves been made by Blompin this year. It's been very, very, mm. very good racing. Rather sadly, very few journalists there, I should tell you. In fact, two journalists in the press no. room. Yes, indeed. Uh, two writers in the press room, I am told. Um, and... But beyond that... Why is that? Are they not being made welcome? Is, is it not uh, being no, no, seen as worthy? That, uh, I, I, I've oh. no idea, but it's it's great racing, and everybody I send to a race comes back raving about it. The one thing Bruce I Jones, would say, by the way, our Bruce Jones did yes, a great job on the TV. He did, the he did do a great job. Yeah. The one thing I would actually put in front of the of the motorsport court here is, I'd personally be slightly happier with five or six fewer cars on those tracks. No, I no, think, I, I, I think I agree. It is too busy on those regular sized tracks with so many cars of equal ability but drivers of mixed ability and i think we've seen to our cost previously that can't that isn't always a very good thing it was a problem at silverstone at times it was a bit of a problem at paul ricard i don't want to see no. another spot 24 hours like last year and johnny palmer and sam did a great job on sunday morning with uh, super gt nissan uh, again a winner's yep. there at the chang international circuit in thailand good weekend both classes for nismo yes both classes absolutely and that was another fine job well done johnny uh and Sam, one uh, quick thing from you uh, before we disappear, let you disappear. Uh, Paul Ricard, this weekend, the Green GT is running. Yeah, w- it's on the bill of uh, WTCC, isn't it? They're, they're showing yeah. the car off and it's going to get its first public running. Uh, so that's just a little bit later. Remind, than can you remind us what the, uh, what the spec of that car is and that's, why it's so it's interesting? It's a WR chassis, which is rather odd because, of course, the current programme for 2016 is another WR chassis. WR this time for um, biomethanol, but there's WR chassis with a hydrogen fuel cell, I think I'm right. Um, and it's, I think it's fair to say, I'm just checking, yes, it is, it's the ugliest car in the world. <laughs> it's also a very interesting technology that is being grabbed is. by a number of people, BMW, uh, Toyota are now selling a, a hydrogen fuel cell 
car. Uh, Honda have had one as well. FCY, I think that's called. Uh, and the it's it's interesting because of course the uh, potential of, of dispensing hydrogen from tanks and things like that. We have some of that infrastructure already, although it's not been really taken up very much. I'm really interested to see that go. Um, it missed its slot as Garage 56, didn't it? It did. Yeah, it, well, they weren't able to bring the car to the track. We missed out. and In fact, we've had a couple of years without now. We've got uh, Frederick Sosse with the SRT41 efforts, which will, by the way, be a, a uh, on-road chassis with an Audi engine. Uh, and that will be uh, Frederick say the quad amputee, with Christoph Tonso will join him in that car at Le Mans next year. Uh, and uh, I know you've got some reservations about some parts of this, John, but this is showing off technologies. No, no, that, no, no okay, but showing off technologies that that give uh, accessibility to high performance uh, motorsport to those who are otherly able. Uh, Graham, thank you very much indeed. Big weekend for us uh, here. Uh, with a uh, couple of the overall Le Mans winners here, plus class Le Mans winners here. Uh, big banners all over the place welcoming back the conquering uh, heroes. Uh, Graham Goodwin, DailySportsGuard.com. Full coverage of uh, this event and uh, DSE Race Live this weekend. Uh, from, well, from we're Kingston. actually going to be having something a bit different there this weekend. And it's actually Ooh. one of the members of your Midweek Motorsports Collective is making his debut for Daily Sports Car this weekend. And that is Kevin Ehrlich will be there um, as a uh, Cub race reporter. Good luck, Kevin. Enjoy it. Um, so with, with my regular guys unavailable this weekend, we're trying something a little bit new both here and with mm. someone else you know well as well, John, at Road America too. Yes, and he's 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 ridiculously excited <laughs> Isn't about he that just? already. Graham, <laughs> thanks very much for joining us tonight. Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com, and uh, he'll go. He's back in the shed now. Uh, he will <laughs> be writing that up. Uh, let's uh, quickly wrap things up uh, from Rhode Island with Tim Gray. Tim, uh, any more from you? Still uh, gorgeous weather here. No breeze or wind or anything at all like that. No awnings flying about. No warnings flying about. Last night, uh, on the other hand, plenty of warnings flying about. Right, no time for that now. No time for that now. Is that it from you, then? Uh, that's all from me, yes. Thank you, Tim. And uh, well done for putting the technology together to bring this three-hander. It's a bit like the good old uh, two-way family favourites. Well, it was three-way family favourites this weekend. Johnny Palmer, thank you uh, for uh, your time in London back at... Uh, the London MCR up in London uh, to Tim Gray in Rhode Island, of course, to, sh- to share Adam to Jim Roller here and uh, also to uh, our guest editor of dailysportscar.com, Graham Goodwin, the responsible adult as ever uh, was Eve Hewitt. A uh, big weekend of sports car racing from Watkins Glen International. We'll start early uh, US time on Friday morning. We'll try and get a little bit of bonus coverage in on Thursday afternoon. Keep an eye on Twitter and the website for that as well. But for the moment, from our midweek motorsports uh, General crew had spread to the far winds this weekend. There's no time to explain because the llama always oh, just overly excited to be going round Watkins Glen. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.